Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, Old Sports, and welcome to another episode of the Hello, Old Sports podcast on the Sports History Network. Uh, Before we get started, I just want to remind you to check us out on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Give us a rating or a review. You can email the show at helloworldsports at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Hello Old Sports Podcast. I am Dan Newman, your co-host, and I am joined by my brother, my co-host, Andrew Newman. Andrew, thanks for doing this, and how are you? I'm doing well. Um, This is a uh, fun episode because it's one where we don't really have to. I sat down on Saturday to do some prep work and my computer needed to do updates. So as I was waiting for the updates, I was like, well, I'll just write some things down. And by the time the computer had booted up, I was like, I don't really need to look any of this up. I would say because it's a personal preference thing. And, you know, so it was uh, it was fun in that regard. And there's really no way to misstate. I guess there is a way to misstate facts, but it's not. uh, It's not one of our more research intensive episodes, shall we say? It is not. And we are going to name we so we've done this a couple times before. A couple years ago, we did the top 10 NBA finals of all time. Last year around this time, we did that. I forget whether it was the top five or the top 10 uh, conference championship games of all time football, you know, NFL conference championship games. Uh, And then tonight we're going to do Super Bowls, but we're going to do the top five best Super Bowls and also the top five worst Super Bowls because uh, we thought that there would be some uh, some pretty bad Super Bowls that we might want to talk about. So I'd be curious to hear from you, Andrew, what you what you considered sort of a good Super Bowl and a bad Super Bowl. But uh, we'll work through it and uh, hopefully we'll come up with uh, two good lists of five at the end of the end of the night here. Yeah. And so just off the top, my uh, off right off the battle, the way I broke it down and originally I wasn't even going to do. I broke it down into bad ones in my lifetime, like ones that I've watched and remembered. And that was all I was going to do for bad ones. But then I did write a few other ones down for bad ones, um, you know, pre my I say pre my lifetime, but at least one of them, I was alive, just, you know, not consciously watching the game because I was three. I didn't want to just go pull up the five games with the most lopsided final score. So I have a few where I'm like, you know, well, we'll explain as we get in, but I, I didn't just want them to be ones that were, you know, if, if they were novel in any way, even if they were blowouts, I tried to find other ones, so to speak. So I, I broke it down that way. And then I did it that way for good ones in my lifetime versus good ones previous to my recollection. And again, a lot more good ones in my lifetime. And as I've said, we are living in the golden age of Super Bowls and have been for right around 22, 23 years now in terms of more often than not, the Super Bowl is a very good game. So the first Super Bowl that I really remember remember. 
is uh, the Super Bowl. Well, let me put it this way. The first Super Bowl that I actually remember watching and having much of a clue that was going on was Super Bowl 27, the 92 season Dallas and Buffalo, the first Dallas and Buffalo Super Bowl. I have vague recollections of Super Bowl 25 when the Giants beat Buffalo. I remember watching Norwood miss the field goal and the Giants beat the Buffalo Bills 20 to 19 in Super Bowl 25. Going through this list, I would say about three quarters of the the Super Bowls that I listed as potentially good Super Bowls are not only ones that are in our lifetime, but ones that I remember watching. And there were there was always sort of the running joke that the Super Bowl was a bad game. It was anticlimactic. And I think especially in the 80s and early 90s, the discrepancy between the NFC and the AFC was kind of a big part of that. but. Over the last 30 years or so, there have been a lot more good Super Bowls than bad Super Bowls, and the list of the good definitely tends to skew towards the modern day, especially really towards the 21st century. Yeah, then it's interesting because the the first ones I remember uh, is the same, actually. The first one I remember watching is Super Bowl 27, the first Cowboys-Bills Super Bowl. I don't have the vague recollections of the two before that that you do. Um, but yeah, so we're we're actually in, in this instance pretty much dealing with the, with the same frame of reference. But yeah, you know, there's a few I looked at here. And, you know, if this had been in 1980 instead of 2012 or whatever it would have been higher up on the list, but it just isn't unique in the field of really, really good games that we have to deal with here. So it's, it's really two errors. I say it splits around. I think 97 because 97 was the first really good Super Bowl since 1990. And yeah, the next couple of years when no out two of the next three years weren't great. But then, and I'll say it now, the thing we have the most to thank for is honestly the Tom Brady Patriot era. They played in nine Super Bowls and eight of them, and you know, between the ones they won and the ones they lost, eight of the nine Super Bowls they played were ranged anywhere from a very good game to a mem- to a, you know, generationally memorable game. I think to me, it really sort of started obviously. You had some good games in the 80s and the early 90s, but the expectation going in was always it was going to be a bad game. And then it sort of started to gradually creep back up 95 season when Pittsburgh sort of hung with the Cowboys well into the second half before Neil O'Donnell threw a couple more interceptions and they kind of kind of gave the game away. And then 96 Super Bowl, what would that have been? Super Bowl 31 with the Packers and the Patriots with Parcells coaching the Patriots. When again, the Patriots were in it until the fourth quarter and then Bledsoe threw an interception. So and then the following year, 97 Super Bowl 32, when the the Broncos and the Packers were tied numerous times throughout the game. And then after that, and like you said, especially once you started to get into the Patriots a few years later, you sort of started to look at, um, you know, the Super Bowl being a, a, a well played, a good, exciting game more often than not. You kind of mentioned that sometimes when you consider something a bad game, it's not just how boring it was or how well played it was, but you also factor in sort of, is there something about it to make it a memorable game that maybe might keep it off that list? I kind of looked at it the same uh, with the good games. It was not just, you know, 
how, how well played it was, but also the moments, what it meant historically. Uh, this is less something in football than it is in some other sports, but like, you know, a team breaking a curse. We remember the 16 World Series with the Cubs beating the Indians as as one of the great World Series of all times, even though there were seven game World Series throughout the history of Major League Baseball. But the fact that it was the Cubs breaking that curse in a seven game series, there's a little mm-hmm. bit of that, too, whether it's a historic win, a great moment for a great player, all those types of things. I think I also looked at that a little bit when we when I was deciding whether it belonged on that list. Yeah, I think not that we're going to agree on individual games, but I think we're coming from it from similar places. So what we do is we we go through and we did this with our previous episodes on on similar type of lists and similar type of topics. We sort of go through right at the beginning and usually we would just go through sort of and say, okay, what's the next one you have that belongs on the best list? This year we're kind of doing both. So we we talk about ones that are um you know belong on the best or or the worst list. And then I think sort of as we go through each one, Andrew and I decide whether we want to sort of put that one on the I guess what you'd call like the the semi-final list of of ones to consider for this uh mm-hmm. this top 5. And so, does that make sense and is that sort of how we've done things uh in the past and does that work for you? Yeah, it's kind of like the Baseball Hall of Fame inductees were announced yesterday as we're recording this. And it's kind of that way. Like We have our initial list. You have to qualify for the initial list, which in this case is you have to have been a Super Bowl game that was played. Then we'll kind of pass some on to the various committees, the best committee or the worst committee. Um, and then we will... Uh, then from there, we will come up with our, our finalists, like, you know, our top five list. So you want to just jump into the first couple and and just kind of go through those and see if any of those go on the list or. Yeah. And just real quick, just sort of a, a quick 20 seconds of history. First Super Bowl game, Super Bowl one, 1966 Packers and chiefs. That was the what? Seventh year of the AFL, the American football league. They, you know, as part of their agreement to merge, they play in their first Super Bowl. So the first four Super Bowls are the AFL champion versus the NFL champion. And then in 1970, we, get to what we know today is the NFC and the AFC. I'm assuming most people and, listening to this podcast know that, but uh, so be it. And two things I want to want to mention with that one. And, you know, we are very aware, unlike a lot of people and, if, and to be honest, the NFL is guilty of propagating this a lot, that there was NFL football played for 40 years before the Super Bowl. There were champion. There was an NFL championship game played for 30 years before the Super Bowl, going back to the mid thirties. A, we're doing Super Bowls, so I don't feel like it's an unfair distinction to make. And it's like I get an, I don't have a problem with people saying, oh, what's the best Super Bowl of all time? What's the worst Super Bowl of all time? It annoys me when it's who are the greatest teams of all time? And then they don't include anybody prior to the Super Bowl era. So, A, we should mention that. B, it would be impossible. It would be very, very difficult to do anything pre-1958. You know what I mean? Like, how would I guess we could. I think we should. I think we should do uh, just the best NFL championship games. I think we should do that. Worst NFL championship games. Worst NFL championship games would be pretty rough. (laughs) Oh, this this game in 1933 sucked. Um, So there's that. And then the other thing I wanted to mention, just because you mentioned Super Bowl one. Anytime someone tries to correct you and tell you that Super Bowl one was not called, what people will try to tell you that the Super Bowl was not called the Super Bowl until the third game. 
that's wrong. It was third by the third Super Bowl. They had pretty much exclusively called it the Super Bowl. But in the first two games, even though the program said the AFL NFL championship game and a lot of people referred to it that way, the Super Bowl was still a phrase that was used as early as the 1966 season going into Super Bowl one. Yes, that is true. All right. So why don't we jump right in here? Um, What is the first Super Bowl that you have on either your best or your worst list? So I'll I'll just get one and two. Don't go on there. A, they definitely wouldn't go on any kind of best list and they wouldn't go on any worst list, even though they were blowouts. Again, we're still talking about the novelty aspect of it and things like that. I guess if you wanted to say Super Bowl two, but it was also Vince Lombardi's last game. I don't think this makes the top five, but I think Super Bowl three for historical significance and the fact that it wasn't a 40 point blowout. I passed that on to the next round. Maybe it's a, um, ceremonial passing on to the next round, but I did list Super Bowl three going forward, you know, and I didn't, uh, that that's the famous Namath upset of the cult 16, seven Namath's famous guarantee going up against the Baltimore Colts and eventually Johnny Unitas who enters the game, uh, late in the game as a replacement for Earl moral Unitas had been hurt for the whole 68 season. It just was never really a good game at all. It was obviously a historic win for the Jets, and you'll always see that on the list of the greatest games of all time. I don't know when the NFL did its 100 greatest games of all time a few years back where that was, but it was pretty high up. But I did not have that game on there. 16 to 7 score. The only Colts score, only Colts score was with 319 left in the fourth quarter. Keeping in mind, of course, that there were no two point conversions in that game. So even after the Colts scored that late touchdown and I think tried an onside kick, they were not in danger of the Jets were in no real danger of losing the game because they were still up two scores after Baltimore had scored. And so Baltimore needed two possessions in three minutes to 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 even, you know, be, you know, to, to 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 tie or take the lead in that game. So I did not include that one on there. For historic stake, absolutely, but it's not a game. It's not a back-and-forth game. It's not a game that's decided at the end. And while monumental, it didn't have, to me, enough of that other piece of it where the actual game was particularly exciting beyond just the excitement of the Jets winning. So I did not have that one on there. All right. Um, I didn't have four on there. I had to, I did put Super Bowl five on the list. And again, we're talking about era, but I mean, and I know this game gets maligned because it was not a really well played game. And there was lots of, uh, you know, faux pas and fumbles in it uh, to coin a phrase, blunders and foul ups, if you will. But it was a game that was decided on the last play of the game on a field goal. So I, I do think that at least bears mentioning it was the first Super Bowl that ended like that and really one of the very few for 30 years that was that competitive so this is super bowl five this is uh 1970 season this is the colts 16 the cowboys 13 and i want to do something that i i did when we did the nba finals i want to list the hall of famers so the hall of famers for the colts are ted hendricks john Mackey, and johnny unitas cowboys hall of famers uh herb adderley 
uh, former Packer, Mike Ditka, Cliff Harris, Bob Hayes, Chuck Howley, Bob Lilly, Mel Renfro, Roger Starbeck, and Rayfield Wright. A lot of defensive Hall of Famers uh, for the for the Dallas Cowboys. I also had this game on there. This is a very terribly played game. This is a 16 to 13 win by the Colts on a last minute Jim O'Brien field goal uh, to win the game for Baltimore. Johnny Unitas starts the game and gets injured halfway through, gets replaced by Earl Morrill and sort of a flip side to to uh, Unitas replacing Morrill. Uh, midway through the game or late in the game in Super Bowl three, a couple of years earlier, the the only touchdown for the Colts is on a deflected pass that um, Unitas throws. It's deflected by a receiver and then falls into the hands of John Mackey, the Hall of Fame tight end. In those days, a guy could only catch a pass and advance the ball or catch a pass at all. If the ball was tipped by a defender after it was tipped by his own player. So today that's just a catch. But in those days, Mackey had could only catch it if it was later, if it was tipped by his guy, then a Dallas guy, and then into his arms, which is what the referee ruled happening. Interestingly enough, the Colts for for all of Jim O'Brien's later field goal field goal heroics he actually gets misses the extra point it gets blocked um after that touchdown (laughs) horrible game for the Colts they give up nine turnovers which is the most by a Super Bowl winning team ever I'd have to imagine it's one of the highest of any team in a Super Bowl win or lose and also that you'll never see a team in this day and age ever again turn the ball over nine times and still win the Super Bowl I had that one on there it's interesting to note though that a lot of Colts players sort of. Oh, yeah. And, and and when I interviewed Bill Curry, I asked him, I said, do you feel as if you were redeemed for Super Bowl three by the win a couple of years later in Super Bowl five? And he basically said, not really. He said, especially on <laughs> offense, because we turned the ball over nine times. And if you watch the we've talked about this before, if you watch the America's game for that 70 Colts team, it's mostly about how how winning in 70 really didn't mean anything because they had lost to Namath in 68. Well, and it's funny, too, because they went 11, two and one. It's not like they were, a you know, nine and first eight and six team at the time. Like they were still a really dominant team that year, beat the Raiders in the championship game, beat the Cowboys in the Super Bowl. So but you know what else with this game? And again, I'm not saying this would be the only reason, but you know what that Jim O'Brien kick is and why it. I think a a special sort of thing in the NFL lore. It is the most popular and probably enduring image of a kick that is straight ahead. Yeah. Do you you mean that? Think think about every other kick that's more famous was soccer style. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Again, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that puts it. uh, That's why it's on the list. By the way, I had a dream a few weeks ago that the Giants uh, got a new kicker and he kicked straight ahead. (laughs) I don't. I don't. You know, it's a weird dream to have. But um, yeah. So anyway, I figured I would. uh, So five should go on the list. I feel like will it stand up to scrutiny later? Yeah, but it was a game decided on the last play. And like you mentioned, all the hall of famers and the first really good super bowl first super bowl of the merger era. 
Yeah, I agree. All right, let's move that one along for further consideration mm. on the best list. Interestingly enough, before we move on this onto this one, I, I looked, you know, as we both do, I think, looked at some other lists just to make sure we were sort of on the right track, not missing anything. And a lot of lists had this as one of the um, the worst Super Bowls of all time, which I don't know how you can That's call it. Absurd. Well, it's also like part of it to me is would have been, been fun to watch. And it feels like this game would have been fun to watch. Might not have been a fun game to watch in the regular season, but when the Super Bowl is like this, I think it would have been fun to watch. So if the Super Bowl was like this this year, people would love it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, all right. So um, where do you go next? What's chronologically? What do you have next? Either a best or a worst? I do think six might deserve to be up there on the worst for a long time. They were the only team that didn't score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. The Dolphins in this game um, against the Cowboys in 71. This is I know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That, sorry. This this is this end of the 71 season. This is the Cowboys beating the Dolphins 24 to three. You know, I know if you look at like the halftime score, it's it, it didn't really get out of hand until later. But I, I I think it at least bears mentioning, you know, the sort of an upstart team that, that was pretty much thoroughly outclassed in that game. Yeah, you know, I had this I did not have this one on my list only because I thought there were a bunch that were worse for mm-hmm. one reason or another. I I think I also looked a little bit at the you know, like like sort of like you said it was it was a blowout but not a, a horrible blowout. It was 10 to 3 at halftime, so at least going into the third quarter, people probably thought that this could still be a decent enough game i i want to see i want to find the the yardage totals here because i feel like the yardage was close um they were close to even in first downs eight for dallas versus seven for miami um they got not not a lot of passing 100 net yards passing versus 105 uh rushing uh I think it was Dwayne Thomas was just had an incredible game. Yeah, Dwayne Thomas and Walt Garrison. Dwayne Thomas, 19 for 95. Walt Garrison, 14 for 74. So they they ran the ball really well. Um, yeah, to me, again, this wasn't a, a terrible game, it, but it certainly wasn't a good one either. Um, so so I'll, I'll leave it to you. Do you want to um, let me just real quick, the Hall of Famers in this game for the Cowboys. Herb Adderley, Lance Allworth, Mike Ditka, Forrest Gregg, Cliff Hayes, Cliff Harris, Bob Hayes, Chuck Howley, Bub Lilly, Mel Renfro, Roger Staubach, and Rayfield Wright. And for the Dolphins, Nick Bonacanti, Larry Zonka, Bob Greasy, Jim Langer, Larry Little, and Paul, Paul, War, Paul Warfield. I'll leave it to you if you want to move this one forward. I, to me, it's a blowout, but not an egregious blowout. But um, it, it's up to you. Do you want to move this one to future consideration on the worst list? No, I don't think so. And 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 to be honest, it had some novelty to it. It was the Cowboys first winning their winning their first Super Bowl after, you know, losing those NFL championship games to the Cowboys or to the Packers, rather. They've lost the year before to the Colts in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, the the Dolphins, we know there was their first Super Bowl. We knew it would happen to, to them years later. Also notable because that was the game where the um when the Dolphins came out on the field, the fans were waving the towels. And uh, later they were using them to dry their eyes and weep. Andrew is going to repeatedly, at least for the first 22 Super Bowls, <laughs> quote, <laughs> quote from the uh, NFL Films Super Sunday video, uh, which do you still have a copy of that? 
No, but it's on YouTube. It's on, YouTube, on yeah. YouTube. Yeah. It's um and when it's, we were kids that enco- when we were kids that encompass well, it's also funny because they very clearly took a documentary on your first five or six Super Bowls or seven. because the first like seven of them have talking heads, and then after that it's just the NFL films videos. So they obviously just tacked on a later yeah. video to the first one. And I think on YouTube you can find like a version that goes through 21 and then a version that goes through 22. So they were clearly just up updating these every year but we used to get those from the video store like once every couple well, of weeks i feel like and i don't know if i've told you this but I, I realized it years later the super bowl 21 the giant one the narration they use for that with the um that is that that's not that's steve sable by then is that's not it, is it john facenda no well, it's not. Seven. It's not John. John Facenda died in the early eighties. It's not Sable doing the narration, but it's whoever <laughs> did it. Was it uh, the guy with the Phillies announcer? Did a lot of that. I'm, uh, what the heck was his name? Oh, was it Harry Callis? He did a lot of it. I don't know if yeah. he was that game. That so, but day. anyway, long story short, they come out and the, the Denver Broncos came to Super Bowl twenty one, hoping they would win. The New York Giants came in knowing they would. That's just the from it's Pat Summerall in the eighty six Giants video. But it's just the same copy. They just <laughs> took what Pat Summerall said in the 86 Giants video and had whoever that narrator was say it for the Super Bowl video. Oh, <laughs> anyway, moving rapidly along here or, or moving some kind of along. So we 71. We won't move that one on. What's your neck? Do you have anything next? Or well, yeah, I would assume you have something next. The next thing I had on either list was Super Bowl 10. Dallas and Pittsburgh. This is on the best list. Um, this is mm-hmm. the, the 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 first uh, first meeting of these teams that would eventually meet three times in Super Bowls, uh, including twice in the seventies. Um, this is Steelers twenty one, Cowboys seventeen. Uh, Cowboys Hall of Famers: Cliff Harris, Drew Pearson, Mel Renfro, Roger Staubach, Randy White, and Rayfield Wright. And Steelers Hall of Famers, Mel, a lot of Hall of Famers, Mel Blunt, Terry Bradshaw, Joe Green, Jack Ham, Franco Harris, Jack Lambert, Donnie Schell, John Stallworth, Lynn Swan, and Mike Webster. This is 21 to 17. This is the Cowboys scoring uh, down 20, Cowboys down 21 10 uh, in the fourth quarter. And, uh, the first first of their Pittsburgh's up 15 to 10. Then they get a touchdown from Lynn Swan. Uh, then Dallas comes down and scores on a 34 yard touchdown reception by a guy named uh, Percy Howard to make it 17 to 21 misses the extra point. So they now they need another touchdown rather than a field goal. Pittsburgh gets the ball back, runs four plays. They don't punt. They've been having kicking issues all day. They don't punt, and so the the Steelers turn the ball over on downs. They end up with the ball at the the Pittsburgh thirty nine yard line. Or no, hold on, I'm sorry, at the Dallas thirty nine yard line. So that they so uh, they they end up with the ball at their own thirty nine yard line. So they've got to go about sixty yards to score. They uh, they throw a couple of. Uh, Staubach scrambles for 11 and then they complete a pass for 12 uh, to Preston Pearson, who is actually a former uh, former Steeler. And then uh, from the 38, they're just not really able to get in. But the Dallas has the ball down four in Pittsburgh territory uh, with the ability to try and score. So this is a close game. It's the first game between sort of the two great powerhouses of 
the seventies in the NFL, Dallas and Pittsburgh. It is a, a memorable performance by Lynn Swan who wins MVP uh, with four, four receptions for 161 yards and a touchdown, including a famous catch that everybody has seen. Even if you don't realize it's from this game where Terry Bradshaw throws it downfield and Swan sort of dives and deflects the ball and then catches it sort of going to his knees. So for all of those reasons, historic win second of two back to back for Pittsburgh, I had Super Bowl 10 as the next one on my list. Yeah. And I think you have to put that one on there. You can momentarily think about it because we're going to have another one to talk about probably in a couple of minutes. And are, are two of those going to end up in the top five, you know, of, of basically the same teams? But I think you do have to put that one on there. All right. So, so far on our list, we've got Super Bowl five and Super Bowl 10 on the best list. And we don't have anything on the potential worst list. I actually had an eight-year gap here before I got to another one I wanted to mention in either context, but uh, I don't know if you might have something else. I basically have nothing else in the 70s. So the next year I do have, I have 76, um, the Raiders and the Vikings. I think you have to, at this point, the Vikings have now been destroyed in four of the first 10 Super Bowls. It's a non-competitive game. It's never gets any closer than 19 to 7. It's 32 to 14 is the final. And that comes with a late touchdown by the Vikings. It's 32 to seven by that point. You know, we've seen now the Vikings get beaten by the chiefs, the dolphins, the Steelers, and now the Raiders. I I have to at least put that in there. It's not the most lopsided final score, but again, it's, you know, almost half of the Super Bowls up to this point have featured the Vikings getting, smacked around and people had to be tired of it super bowl 11 raiders 32 vikings 14 hall of famers for the raiders fred bolitnikoff cliff branch willie brown dave casper ray guy ted hendricks art shell ken stabler gene upshaw for the vikings carl eller paul kraus alan page fran tarkenton mick tinglehoff and ron yeri yeah you know this one didn't make my list either i think i just didn't think it was quite bad enough i don't know if i had a specific reason for this one it wasn't like um super bowl six where i thought it was a legitimately bad game but some of the the dallas drama and that type of thing made it worthwhile i just didn't think this one was quite bad enough to be honest with you but uh glad to move it along for further consideration if you'd like and now you don't have 13. You don't have the second Steelers Cowboys one from 78 for a best. Yes. No, I actually did not. Um, this was one where I, I think maybe because I'd had, um, I'd had a little bit, I'd had the previous one. Uh, and this is Super Bowl 13 Steelers, 35 Cowboys, 31, I think the reasons why I didn't have this one is because it was a 35-17 game with uh, just under seven minutes left. And the Dallas scores their last touchdown with uh, 22 seconds left to make it 35-31. to And I don't even know, do they do they try an onside kick here? or No, they, they do try an onside kick. Rocky Blyer recovers it. Now, I don't know if even if he hadn't recovered it, if... You know, I mean, what are you going to do with 20 seconds left with the Cowboys? So mm. I think. And this is maybe where 
if we were having this conversation 25 years ago, I probably would have at least flagged this one. But so many Super Bowls in the last 20 or so years have gone down to the very last possession where either team still had a chance to win and was within a score. To me, when the the touchdown that makes it a one-score game is with less than 30 seconds left. I probably a fun game, damn fun game to watch probably. And I, I didn't list the hall of famers for this one, but there were a lot of them, a lot of dramatic moments in this one, but I, I just can't get quite there because it was never really a one score game late. Yeah. And to be honest, I think I kind of flip 75 and 78 in my head and think this was the better game. I think 75, the game you described is the game I was sort of flipping in my head to being 78. So I I would tend to agree with you there that that should be the one that's on the list. You when was the next thing you had? You said we're done. I mean, we're close to done with the 70s now anyway, but. My next one was Super Bowl 18, which was the 1983 season, I believe. Yeah, 1983 season. And this would have been Raiders Redskins. This would have been Raiders Redskins. Um, so just to just we're through the 70s now. Do you, did you have anything before that for either list? No. OK, so we're through the 70s and we've got. Super Bowl five and Super Bowl 10 on our potential best list. And we've got Super Bowl 11 on our potential uh, worst list. Super Bowl 18 is the Raiders 38, the Redskins nine. The Redskins had won the Super Bowl the year before they had beaten up on Miami in the previous year's Super Bowl. John Riggins had had a crazy rushing day. And that was the that was the fame. That was the first real NFL strike season. That was a nine game season. This Redskins team is largely considered to be the best single season, regular season Redskins team of that whole era with a team that was in the Super Bowl four times. That was um, uh, that was, uh, you know, a a perennial contender uh, put together by a Hall of Famer and recent uh, Hello Old Sports uh, in memoriam honoree Bobby Bethard. To me, this game, the this is known best as the game where Marcus Allen was MVP and set the um, set the single season or single game Super Bowl rushing record with uh, 20 attempts and 191 yards. Um, just to list the Hall of Famers real quick. In addition to Allen, it's Cliff Branch, Ray Guy, Mike Haynes, Ted Hendricks and Howie Long. And for the, the Redskins, it's Daryl Green, Russ Gim, Russ Grimm, Art Monk and uh, John Riggins. But this is a game, it's a 29-point game. So in those days, that's a five-score game. That's that's four touchdowns mm-hmm. and something else. It goes, it, Washington scores in the third quarter to make it 21-9. And then the rest of the game is basically just Marcus Allen running all over them. It's, it's 21-3 at halftime. It's never really all that close. Um Two t- two interceptions for Washington. Washington actually has more passing yards in the game, but that's because number one, Marcus Allen is running the ball so well, and number two, they're playing from so far behind. So a game that just feels like it was never really close. There was never really anything, um, never really anything to make it super exciting or close or noteworthy, other than what Marcus Allen did. Now maybe that's enough to make it so that it's not one of the the, sort of the all-time worst games, because maybe in the fourth quarter, if you're watching Marcus Allen break, break, 
break out these crazy long runs and you're wondering if he's going to get the record. Maybe that's enough to make it not so boring as to be an all-time worst. But that was my first one that I had on the potential for the all-time worst list. Yeah, and I think another one, another reason that would be on the list is some of these other ones we mentioned, you know, Raiders, Vikings, um, a couple we're going to mention in a minute. This was probably one of the ones that people expected to be a good game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Redskins had won the Super Bowl the year before. The Raiders had won the Super Bowl three years before that. The, you know, both teams were, had very good years. And this was, you know, most people probably expected it to be a good game. I don't think the one we're going to talk about in two years, I don't think anyone expected that to be a good game. So I think that's another strike in this column is that, it didn't, you know, there was expectations to it that weren't met either. Yeah, I agree. So do we want to put that one on our potential uh, worst list? I think we should. Yes. All right. Um, I did not have to go very far for my next uh, potential, but why don't you, uh, why don't you tell me where you went next? So I went to Super Bowl 20 in 1985. Uh, I went to, did I, you didn't, is that where you went? You didn't do 19 or you didn't know I went to 20 uh, bears, okay. 46 Patriots, 10 uh, hall of famers for the Patriots. Just John Hanna and Andre Tippett uh, bears, Jim covert, Richard Dent, Dan Hampton, Walter Payton and Mike Singletary. It is worth noting. And I don't know if this is the only um, the only Super Bowl you can say this about. It's probably is. It's the only Super Bowl where both coaches are uh, Hall of Famers as players, and that being Mike Ditka for the Bears and Raymond Berry for New England. But yeah, this was uh, this was terrible. And why don't maybe talk a little bit about uh, why you thought it was so terrible? Yeah. So and 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 this one is almost what we talked about at the beginning, where I was talking about novelty. And you know, this is very novel. The Bears won their first championship in twenty three years. You had right the sixty three would have been the last time twenty two years, I guess. Correct. Yeah, the Bears win for the first time in 22 years. You have Walter Payton. You have this all-time great single-season team. You have Ditka. You have Buddy Ryan and the whole dichotomy there. It would have taken, you know, had this game been 28 to 7, I probably would have been like, you know, that is enough to overcome the lopsided final score. This game not only was over when it started, this game was over a week before that. You know what I mean? Like, this was... I mean, I know the Patriots were up three to nothing, but other than that, the Bears, you almost, this was the Super Bowl, and it almost feels like when you watch Alabama beating Kent State in on August 29th in the first game of the season, and you're like, eh, they probably should get these guys off the field at this point. You know what I mean? It's the Super Bowl. So it's, it, it just, it's such a lopsided game that no matter what the other stories were, it has to go on the list for at least discussion. Patriots had been basically a laughing stock since um, since the NFL AFL merger. They'd been they they'd been an okay team. I think they'd made a couple of AFL championship games in the early sixties, and they had one really good year in like seventy six. I want to say where they made it. Uh, I don't know whether I'll they were in the I, AFC, I don't know if they were in the AFC championship game that year. Or maybe it was just the um the semifinals, but um, you know, the, the round before that. They were eleven and five this year. They were only third in the AFC. They won 
three road games against the Jets, Raiders, and Dolphins to uh, bring home the uh, the AFC Championship. And I think th- there are very few teams that have won three straight road games to go to the the conference fight or go to the Super Bowl. And obviously, the the 07 Giants are on that list. Also, um, it was rarer in those days, and it was particularly rare because the playoffs hadn't even had that many teams for for all that long. They were just, you know, they were a team. They had a, a a decent defense. They had a couple of good wide receivers. Their best player by far is uh, an offensive guard, uh, John Hanna, who we mentioned as a Hall of Famer, is one of the greatest offensive linemen of all time. I am a, a strong advocate of the importance of good offensive line play, but when your best player is an offensive guard, you're probably not a Super Bowl team. The starting quarterback is Tony Eason. He's a young quarterback. He was part of that 84 draft with um, Marino and Jim Kelly and John Elway and some of those other guys. He is horrible in this game. He comes out with an 0-6, 0 for 6, 0 for his first six passes. I believe there's an interception in there also. This Patriots team just gets demolished. Two interceptions. No, I'm sorry. No interceptions for Grogan for Eason. His uh, successor, uh, Steve Grogan, throws two interceptions. Eason gets benched. Steve Grogan goes in the game. A guy got benched in the Super Bowl, by the way. After six passes. <laughs> I think that was the famous story where John Hanna went to the sideline and said to the coaching staff, you can get leave this guy in, but if you do, I'm not going to block for him. Um yeah, really, really early to pull your quarterback in a Super Bowl. I don't know if that's ever happened before, at least or or since that I can think of. Patriots turn it over six times. They're just, you know, the Bears offense is really other than I mean, it's it's led by Walter Payton. But, you know, Jim McMahon is, is by no means an all time great quarterback. This is really just the Bears defense. Just demolishing the Patriots in this game Um, Patriots with seven net rushing yards and where's their passing here? Um, 116 net net passing yards. That's not, that's not quite as bad, Um, but the bears just run over them in any, in every sort of uh, way, shape or form. And it's just, you're right. And it's funny. I think when you watch this game, you watch highlights of it, or, you know, the, the, during Super, right around now, a lot of times, you know, the, when NFL Network reruns old Super Bowls, they'll show this game. And it's, I think the combination of the fact that it's inside, it's the Patriots in those red jerseys, which I know they've worn them as a throwback from time to time, but, you know, they're associated with sort of the terrible years of the Patriots. It's the Bears only Super Bowl. When I watch it, I have this sense that I'm not really watching a Super Bowl. Well, and this game is so weird because this game is so bad for the Patriots that it gets thrown into all those montages of terrible Patriots teams pre Bill Parcells, really, but really pre Bill Belichick. It's like they were in the Super Bowl, like, but they get, but it gets thrown into like, they were so bad. Look at this clip. And it's always, I think, I don't know if it was Easton or Grogan, but kind of like, turtled over in the end zone after he gets a hit gets hit by somebody it's like yeah it's so bad that it was almost embarrassing for them that they were in the super bowl and got beat that badly i think i've told this story before but when i was growing up in elementary school (laughs) the dictionaries in the classroom there were these big green dictionaries the definition of the word dejected 
was a picture of a patriot. I think it was Tony Eason with his head in his hands, possibly from those that Super Bowl. So they define dejection in the 1980s. So that goes on the list uh, and might find its way onto the final list. I went forward as much as I'd like to put 86 on there. I, I really can't. Of the five Super Bowls the Giants were in, that's the one that merits the least discussion yeah. for being on one of these lists. Mm-hmm. Honorable mention, though, for at one point, I think it was Harry Carson got a personal foul and then Lawrence Taylor picked up the flag and threw it. So they got a second personal foul. Um, yeah, and they both they both are enforced. Yeah, they, 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 I remember the referee said throwing the marker. <laughs> and when I was a kid for throwing the marker. Somehow we got a hold of these VHSs. I think one of your friends' dads had dad had yeah, it. Yeah, and we were we were watching the recorded version of it. And when he said throwing the marker, you know, I was a kid. I, I knew football, but I'd never heard of that phrase. I thought that he picked up the first down marker and threw it down the field like a javelin. <laughs> I think that's actually the camera what I doesn't, the camera doesn't show what he did. So I think that's actually what I thought too. Although I don't know if I thought that he like threw it down like a javelin, but more that like, um, you know, he just like took it and like, you know, flung it. But um, yeah. So anyway. Um. All right. So I go forward to 88, um, the 49ers and the Bengals and the famous sort of crowning achievement of Joe Montana's career, the famous Super Bowl drive, the John Candy drive, if you will. Uh, culminating in the touchdown to John Taylor. And that would have been what Super Bowl 23. Yep. Uh, 49ers, 20 Bengals, 16, really the only, uh, the, the first 49ers Bengals Super Bowl is, is, you know, it's, it's a close game, but it's not like this. The only hall of famer for the Bengals in this game is Anthony Munoz, the great offensive tackle Niners got Charles Haley, Ronnie Lott, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, and also Steve Young, who's, who's Montana's backup. Bengals uh, lead the game late. They uh, they kick a field goal with 320 left in the fourth quarter to break a 13-13 tie. Kick it off uh, to the uh, 49ers, who I, I haven't seen this play. Yeah, I'm sure I've seen it in the before. Somehow the 49ers get the ball on their own eight-yard line, which is rare for a kickoff these days because you'd think usually – it, they must have been like almost the perfect kickoff because he probably fielded. I think it, it might have been. I think it might have been mishandled. I'll okay. look this up. It, well, you know what? Though? I may be thinking of the '86 AFC Championship game, the Montana or the uh, Elway Drive. I'll, I'll look it up. But one of those two games, it was like the kick was mishandled. But let me let me see if I can find it. Oh, here it is. The Niners returned it to their own fifteen, which is still you know kind of deep. And then there was an illegal block, so it's half the distance, and they get it at the eight. And I'm assuming that the guy who returned that kick might have been John Taylor, the same receiver who later caught the winning touchdown pass. So this is the definitive Joe Montana drive, 92 yards. Ironically, this is the one Super Bowl of the four that Montana does not win MVP. Jerry Rice actually wins MVP of this Super Bowl and, and, you know, deservedly so 11 receptions for 215 yards and a touchdown. So hard to quibble with a guy with 215 yards. But nonetheless, you just kind of think to yourself, it's the only um, it's the only it's it's Montana's shining moment, but it's the only Super Bowl that uh, that he's not the MVP of. 
this is a good game. It's a close game. It's one on a last minute drive that had they not scored, they would not have won the game. You know, they, they were down three, so they needed at least a field goal there. It wasn't like they were driving from a tie where they, you know, they, in some sense had nothing to lose. And it's the signature moment of maybe the greatest clutch quarterback or one of the two or three greatest clutch quarterbacks of all time. It's probably up there with a couple of the L with the one Elway drive and the the 58 um 58 United drive the uh the ice bowl the the star that could be a good a good episode one time is just through the greatest drives in NFL history but nonetheless this is one of the greatest four or five drives in NFL history so i think it's up there i think it's a strong strong candidate to be up there and it probably deserves to be on our our list for further consideration Absolutely. And by the way, one of those greatest drives we'll uh, we'll be talking about in a little while as well. Uh, another one that would be on that list. Um, but yeah, so the game, it's it's never more than a, a seven point game. They trade field goals. It's tied at three. It's tied at six. The Bengals take a 13 to six lead. The Niners tie it. The 49ers actually were never. Well, they were ahead three nothing in this game. And then at the end at 20 to 16. So uh, I certainly think that one goes on the list and may very well end up being discussed down the line. All right. Where, where did you have something next? I did put the 49ers and the Broncos on there. It's another one with the, with the uh, margin of victory is what? 45 points. The 49ers 55, the Bengals 10. It's now the third time in four years we've seen the Bengals, or not the Bengals, the Broncos. If I keep saying Bengals, I mean Broncos. It's now the third time in four years we've seen the Broncos get one degree or another dominated in the Super Bowl, this time obviously being the worst one. It was never a game. It was, I think, 13 to three at the most tight that it was. It was, you know, at no point. Did the 49ers, you know, was the game in any kind of jeopardy at all? So I, I do have, I guess it was seven to three, excuse me. I do have that one on the list. Elway throws two interceptions. He sacked four times. He has 108 yards of offense or he has 108 yards passing. It doesn't look like they broke 150 yards of offense in this game from what I can tell. So, yes, I, I go. I put this game on the list of worst. Total yardage for Denver in this game, 167, and then 461 for San Francisco. Hall of Famers for the Niners are the same. Hall of Famers for Denver are just Elway and uh, Steve Atwater. Montana, five touchdowns, 297 yards passing. Steve Young gets in the game a little bit. Um, Elway, 108 yards for no touchdowns and two, uh, or no TDs and two interceptions i think the niners really kind of kind of spread it around here yeah rice gets a touchdown tom tom yeah five different five different guys get touchdowns here um three for rice but then uh john taylor with a touchdown reception brent jones with a touchdown reception uh tom rathman and roger craig the two running backs both get uh both get runs uh for for touchdowns this is and i know we're a year off but also, I think it's worth noting for, for years and my purposes, this is the Tecmo Super Bowl 49ers team. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Because everybody who's on this team is on the is on the Tecmo team. It's that's significant, right? Craig and Rathman in the backfield, Taylor and Rice, mm. Brent Jones, 
Haley and Romanowski. Young is Montana's backup. Yeah, Yeah, it's the it's the Techno Super Bowl team. You're right. And then probably, well, some people say 84, but 84 and 89 are, are considered the two best 49er teams of that era. So, yeah, I, I think definitely, um, definitely sort of their crown jewel in terms of uh, dominance, if not drama. Yeah. And, and I have no problem moving this one along for further conversation. I didn't necessarily have this one super high up, and I'll explain my justification for that when we get to it. But the score is enough to uh, to maybe move it up mm-hmm. uh, just just a little further. So. All and right. I think we probably don't have to go much further to get to uh, get to a best. Now, Super Bowl 25, and I'll dare anybody to accuse us of homerism. Uh, the Giants and the Bills, a Super Bowl that is, you know, it, it there's so much there. It for me, watching the, the history of the Giants DVD or not the history of the Giants, the 1990 video yearbook. And again, the Tecmo Super Bowl Giants and the Tecmo Super Bowl Bills, all of that, fine. And to be honest, the Gulf War backdrop of it, fine. The fact of the matter is this was the first Super Bowl and one of the very few, to my knowledge, that came down to, yes, technically it was the second to last play of the game, but really the last play of the game where if Scott Norwood makes the field goal, the Bills win the Super Bowl. If Scott Norwood misses the field goal, the Giants win the Super Bowl. There was no tie at play. There was no overtime at play. That was the end of the game. You know, there were obviously all sorts of Hall of Famers. There were all sort not as many as, as in some of the 70s teams you mentioned, really. I mean, only, only Giants Gi- Hall of Famer. Only Giants LT. Hall of Famer on the field is LT. The owner, GM, and head coach are all Hall of Famers, but LT is the only player that's a Hall of Famer. The Bills got Jim Kelly, James Lofton, Andre Reed, Bruce Smith, and Thurman Thomas. There's the back and forth of the, you know, Hostetler is the backup quarterback. The Bills get up 12 to three early. The Giants have have a a long drive before the half to to cut it to two. They have a really long drive after the half to go up 17 to 12. The Bills come back over top of them. The Giants have a drive. It's just it's back and forth the whole way. Both teams feel like they're executing their game plan. You know, yeah, this is sort of the early, the not the earliest, but like this is Bill Belichick's the birth of sort of the mythology of the mastermind with the game plan. He came up this. That was the other thing. The Bills and what was now called the K gun back then, everybody called it the hurry up offense, the sort of no huddle, get to the line quick offense that was you know, sort of revolutionizing football at the time, or they or so they thought. And, you know, in the end, it's the missed field goal. It's the Giants with the Super Bowl. It ends up being Bill Parcells' last game as head coach of the Giants. And just the drama, the back and forth play, it's a very cleanly played game. I think this has to be, you know, considered one of the best Super Bowls of all time. Yeah, there really is. And there's so many things. You mentioned the Gulf War backdrop. You know, it's Parcells' last game. Historical significance, I think, matters, too, in that if the Bills win that game, whatever happens next, they're not the Bills of those Mm. 90s teams. I mean, you know, I have emails from two years ago, you know, with with friends or, you know, whatever guys I know from playing cards. And it's like, yeah, I I can't make it to cards this week because I got to go to my daughter's soccer game. And they're like the Buffalo Bills of, you know 
15 year old girls soccer. They've been in the championship game every year for the last whatever. And they've lost like if Scott Norwood makes that kick, they don't enter that lexicon of a team that just, you know, makes it to, to the precipice and loses every year. And that's just so unprecedented. There's, there's nothing like that in sports, in any sport, maybe a little bit with the Lakers in the sixties with Boston, but that wasn't all those years in a row. Plus it was different. There were so many fewer teams. There's that part of it. There's the fact that the giants have this amazing play uh, game plan, really on both offense and defense. You know, the giants run an offense with three tight ends for most of the game in an effort to just bleed as much of the clock as the humanly possible. Incidentally, Andrew and I, one of our earlier episodes we did, we did was on this Super Bowl. So check that out. I think it's probably like episode 12 or something. It wasn't one of our very first, but it was one of the first we did over the first few months, all about Super Bowl 25. So, so check that out. So yeah, it's just, it's gotta be on there for so many reasons. And again, we could talk about this at a different time, but if you talked about from the bill standpoint, if the if Norwood makes that kick and the Giants lose, and by the way, the Giants, everything up to that point is the same game. You know what I mean? Whether Norwood made or, or missed the kick really had very little to do with the Giants on that play. We know Belichick's gone. Belichick had already agreed to leave mm-hmm. for Cleveland. Does Parcells leave? In Maybe that? not. Maybe not. If Parcells stays, Parcells probably goes right back to Sims. Does the do the nineties Giants have a little more juice left in them? How does that impact the early nineties Cowboy team, who I think was coming no matter what, to be yeah. honest? But you know, they, all of these are interesting things. So you know, you can obviously spider web it out to ridiculous proportions, but. Yeah, and maybe that's what I'm about to do here. But if you want to get silly, if Parcells stays with the Giants even another year, he probably doesn't go to New England. He probably doesn't bring Belichick to New England in 97, you know, there's, mm-hmm. you know, or 96 rather. We're getting a little bit far afield here now, but a lot happened in that. That is like you could you could probably do a doc. You could probably do a five part documentary series just on everybody that was involved in that game and what it mm-hmm. meant, you know, going going forward um good good uplifting moment for a nation reeling from the week before when iraqi turncoat sergeant slaughter had won the world wrestling federation (laughs) championship um (laughs) let's uh let's move on here um where did you go where did you go next because we got some stinkers here and maybe that's uh that's where you're headed next i went to 93 and i know what people are gonna say about well, ninety two was fifty two to seventeen. Ninety three is the worst game. Ninety three is the worst game because it's a rematch of the year before. It's the exact same Super Bowl. Ninety two has the ninety two has at least the angle of well, it's the Cowboys. They're you know the Cowboys are back. It's been fifteen years since the Cowboys have won a Super Bowl. It's been thirteen years or whatever since the Cowboys were in a Super Bowl. It's Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson and all this stuff that again makes you want to vomit. But at least it's interesting. The next year, and I know the Bills were up at halftime, that the ten to nine or whatever it was. The Bills had a small lead at halftime. By the middle of the third quarter, we were back to the same crap that at this point we had seen the year before. We had seen the year before that, really, except that it was against the Redskins. It was like to me, that is the less interesting game. So I, I think 93 is worse. 
so Dallas plays Buffalo in both Super Bowls. Dallas wins the first one in Super Bowl 27. They win 52 to 17. They win Super Bowl 28, 30 to 13. They're actually uh, Buffalo's ahead by a touchdown, 13 to 6 at halftime of that. That second game at the Hall of Famers, and I think it's probably the same both years. Buffalo, it's Jim Kelly, James Lofton, Andre Reed, Bruce Smith, Thurman Thomas, same as a couple years previous. Cowboys got Aikman, Charles Haley, Michael Irvin, and Emmett Smith. One of the interesting things about those two years is it really kind of feels like almost like the same game. Now, they're obviously played in different places. The 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 first one is in uh, Pasadena at the Rose Bowl, which I think is the last ever Super Bowl at the Rose Bowl. Um, the following mm-hmm. years in the Georgia Dome. One of the interesting things about this is, and this is something you'll probably never see, and I read this years ago and I, I'd forgotten about it and I was just reading about it again now. Right before Super Bowl, I think it would have been the Giants, uh, the Giants uh, Bills Super Bowl or, you know, going into it. The three networks, CBS, NBC, and ABC, each got a Super Bowl. 21 with the Giants was ABC. 22 with the Redskins was CBS. NBC got Super Bowl 27. And then the three networks put in some sort of a, it was like a closed bid, or it might have had something to do with the Olympics, or, or I don't even know. But anyway, that extra Super Bowl so two years in a row, it was on NBC. It was the same broadcast team, Dick Enberg and OJ Simpson and some other guys. And so it was like, it was literally the same two teams. It was the same network, the same broadcasters. And that year, both the Niners and the Chiefs were in the NFC and AFC championship games. And that would have been young in Montana. So everybody was all excited to think, okay, it would have been, are we going to get a 49ers Chiefs Super Bowl with Steve Young going up against Joe Montana. That would have been one of the biggest and most anticipated games in the history of sports. And then not only do we not get it, but you get the Cowboys and the Bills for the second year. And I remember listening to some, uh, I think it was like the oldies radio station growing up. And, you know, these guys obviously weren't really sports guys. But I remember one of them saying, one of the DJs saying to the other ones, do you want to just go bowling on Super Bowl Sunday? It was like it was like in the air that if Buffalo ends up back in the Super Bowl, especially against Dallas, nobody's going to care. Now, I don't know if I can go with you to call a game that was 13-6 at halftime with Buffalo leading. I don't know if I can go and call that one of the worst games of all time. I had the previous year where it was 52-17. Jim Kelly gets knocked out of the game. The Bills turn it over however many times they turned it over. I had that game, not the following year, but I can understand where you're coming from with that one. I'll go with you on 92 because we can't put both in there. If you told me right now I have to watch one of those games, I would watch the first one. And this is where it gets interesting because now we're in the point where we remember these games. I was going to say, this is really the line where now we remember them. And it's not like a World Series or an NBA Finals where you probably didn't watch every minute of every game. You know, I watched all of basically all of these games except for, you know, one where I think I had a CYO basketball game and one a few years ago where I, you know, left the party at halftime and was on still on the Metro as the third quarter was starting. I, the vast majority of these games, I sat down and watched beginning to end. So it's a question of like, 
you you do kind of think back like did i enjoy watching the games and why was that you know did i did i perceive it as being closer than it was and i think sort of you know like you said was I wrong that time to think that Buffalo had a chance when they were up seven at halftime? So there is a little bit of sort of a, your memory starts to creep in a little bit here. Yeah. And I remember at this point, which Super Bowl where I was for every one of these Super Bowls to the to the point that I know which one you had a CYO basketball game because mm-hmm. I was at home with my friends and you were at a CYO basketball game. Um so where do you go next after 90? We covered 92 and 93. Where do you go next? So I, Cause I have a bit of a jump here. So I did not have, and this maybe gets right to the point we were just making. I do not have Super Bowl 29 when the 49ers smacked the heck out of the Chargers the following year. I don't have that. That was not a close game. I think just the sheer offensive dominance of that 49er team scoring on long touchdown passes to Jerry Rice and Ricky Waters and all of that type of thing. Mm. To me, that in and of itself was just sort of fun to watch. So I didn't put that on the list. I didn't either. And and that may be, again, a little bit of <sighs> bias is strong, but like the we just talked about the first two Super Bowls we remember were 92 and 93. We were giant fans. We did not like the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. This was the first Super Bowl I remember that the Cowboys didn't win. So <laughs> I, I remember enjoying this quite a bit. And I like the 49ers back then too, the Steve Young 49ers. But there was there was a story to it, the whole thing of and also to be honest, and I, I don't mean this in a funny way, but this can't be overstated. It was somebody besides the Bills getting their butt kicked. So that was neat. That was new too. Yeah, and that was definitely a uh you know, that a team that you never really saw um mm. saw back anywhere the Chargers team. Incidentally, the Chargers team that was also put together by Bobby Bethard. Um so I did have 31, the 96 97 season, Broncos 31, Green Bay Packers 24. Um Elway wins his first Super Bowl. It's the first Super Bowl that the AFC has won in what 14, I want to say 14 years. They they take a final lead. Uh, they go up thirty-one to twenty-four on a one-yard touchdown run by uh, Terrell Davis, who has three touchdowns on the day. He actually plays through a part of the game. He plays with a plays with a migraine, wins MVP, has a monster day. El uh, Terrell Davis does thirty carries, one hundred and fifty-seven yards, three touchdowns. I actually think that if it's not for this game, Terrell Davis might not be in the Hall of Fame because the guy only plays like six years. And part of what gets him in is that period of dominance he had for a couple of years in the late 90s. And this Super Bowl is a big part of that. So Elway's first, first for the AFC, a game that's tied number of times throughout the throughout the four quarters. I had Super Bowl 32. I'm sorry. Packers 24, Broncos 31, Packers Hall of Famers, Leroy Butler, Brett Favre, Reggie White, Broncos, Steve Atwater, Terrell Davis, John Elway, Shannon Sharp, and Gary Zimmerman. That's where I went with it. Yeah, me too. When you said 31, I was I started looking. I'm like, this was not as close of a game as people seem to have remembered. But you were talking about 32, and I agree. A couple of things happened in this game. One, the AFC curse got broken. Be John Elway. I mean, that was... 
he was on those Bronco teams that were responsible for three of those lopsided scores in the late eighties to the, to the giants, Redskins and 49ers. So like you said, and also to be honest at the time, it looked like, okay, we had the 49ers thing in the eighties. We had the Cowboys thing in the early nineties. Now we're going to have the Packers thing. The Packers won in 96. They're going to win in 97 not a lot of people saw this coming with this Bronco team. You know, it was a good Bronco team, but they didn't even have a buy. They were 12 and four. Um, I'm guessing who would have had the buys in 97, probably Pittsburgh and Buffalo. Uh, I just see they played 20 games, so I'll I'll look it up, but um, I'm guessing those would have been the teams, but this was a very big surprise. It was also a very good game. I don't think there was any teams anybody was tired of in them yet. Yeah, the um, Denver was actually the number four seed. Denver didn't even win their division. Kansas City was the number one seed, and Pittsburgh was the number two seed. Mm-hmm. So De- Denver actually had to go on the road twice to win, and they were close games both times. They beat Kansas City by four. They beat Pittsburgh by three, and then they went to the Super Bowl. Um so, yeah, I, I think that game definitely belongs on the list, 97, Super Bowl 32. So I don't know that I want to spend a ton of time on this next one because I did have it, but I don't I don't think it probably reaches the list of of all time worst. I had the following year, um, the Broncos Falcons as a possible worst. And again, maybe this is part of memory and that I remember watching this game and just thinking it was really boring the the broncos were up 31 to 6 in the fourth quarter and then they get a couple of touchdowns late to to make it a more respectable 34 to 19 so this is a game that i think was worse than the score incidentally the only hall of famer in that game is uh for the falcons is their kicker morton anderson and the coin toss is actually done by members of the colts and the Giants from uh, 40 years earlier from the greatest game ever played guys like Barry and Moore, Gino Marchetti, Frank Gifford, Roosevelt Brown. So that, that, that was interesting. I, I don't remember that those guys doing the coin to us anyway, not probably shouldn't be moved on to like sort of the potential all time worst, but I just remember being bored to tears by that game and it was not nearly as close as the score would lead you to believe. I hate this game. I, I think you're right. We can't advance it. But I, I've always hated this game. I, I remember in seventh grade the next day, people being like, well, that game sucked. Like it was just it wasn't exciting. It wasn't a blowout in like a fun way where somebody scored 50 points or whatever. And I think the thing I remember most about it was that the Falcon guy, Eugene Robinson, I think who won the didn't he win like man of the year the night before and he got caught picking up a prostitute. Yes. I better the be right th- about that. I'm going to get sued. No, you're so. right. You're right. <laughs> you're right. You're right. The other thing well, you'll get sued. You're the executive producer. <laughs> the other thing I remember about this game, and I know I've brought this up before. I know where I you're just... going with this. <laughs> the halftime show. <laughs> yeah. So the halftime show, this is during the period um, where for about a year and a half, I think you'd have to kind of have been a teenager in the nineties to remember this. Ska music was a big deal sort of in the 90s, you know, around this time. Like, you know, I I still love the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and, you know, Real Big Fish and some of those. But then as sort of an offshoot of that, there was actually like a resurgence of swing music. 
And it was some of these bands, the Squirrel Nut Zippers had that song, Hell, which is actually a really good song. And there was this other band called Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. And the halftime show was Stevie Wonder, Gloria Stefan, and Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. And just having to listen to, and their big song was called You and Me and the Bottle Makes Three. And there was, which I don't know if I've heard that song in probably 25 years, but Pat Summerall had to read the promo for the halftime show 3 million times throughout the day and probably the week before in the NFC Championship game. And just the way he clearly didn't know what he was reading and just have to kept saying, and big, bad voodoo daddy, <laughs> just over and over again. It's one of those things I'll just never forget. I also wonder if the Falcons had a little bit of what the Patriots had, uh, you know, in the mid 80s with this was just the fact that they never made it there before and would never make it there since in this iteration. The game was in a dome. I know to me, dome Super Bowls that are not good games feel very just sort of sterile and boring and sort of devoid of time and place. So I think it was sort of a combination of those things just made this feel like just a Boring, boring Super Bowl. And we were at the era at this point where the Super Bowl was only in like four places because yeah. they had stopped. Do- they had stopped doing it in non NFL stadiums. And, and uh, although I should correct myself, this isn't a dome. This is in Miami. So. It- oh, OK. Yeah. So it was basically back then it was in Miami, San Diego, and they got rid of that pretty soon after that. New Orleans and Atlanta. I, I'm pretty sure they didn't. They never did it at Texas Stadium. Houston didn't have a wasn't at the Astrodome ever. It was they did it in Minnesota once and decided not to go back. Like it was pretty much in like four places at this point. By the way, that Rose Bowl game in '92 with the Cowboys and the Bills, the last one in a non NFL stadium, was only in the Rose Bowl because it was supposed to be in Arizona and they moved it because they didn't recognize Martin Luther King Day. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. I knew that that was one of those around. I didn't know which one it was. So, yeah, I I don't think it goes on, but I just, I did want to pause and say that this game sucked. (laughs) Yeah. I agree. Where where now? Especially with how good the NFC Championship game was the week before. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. The, the, the misfield. Or two goal. weeks before, whatever it was. Misfield um, by Gary Anderson. No, I, I was going to say, I think that the following year, Super Bowl 34, when we're, we're kind of at a place where we're getting a lot of back-to-back-to-back years here. It's going to continue for a while. We're too, more than but, halfway um, through the Super Bowls by far, but we're not halfway through the list. So um, uh, yeah, you all will know how long this is going to be, but uh, we don't. So anyway, um, I did have Super Bowl 34 the Rams 23, the Titans 16, just real quick hall of famers. Um, only Bruce Matthews for the Titans, the great offensive lineman, and then four on offense for the Rams, Isaac Bruce, Marshall Falk, Kurt Warner, and uh, Orlando pace, the offensive tackle. I have this on the list. This is the famous game where uh, Kevin Dyson for the Titans uh, stretches out at the very last minute um, in the very last game to try and reach the end zone and comes up, just short. Who is it that tackles him? I believe it's uh, London Fletcher, right? Oh, no, Mike Jones. Uh, Mike Jones, the linebacker, Mike Jones for the um, Rams. Yeah, London Fletcher was on the team, but not him. So um, that game would have either been a tie, it would have been the first game to go to overtime, or I guess the Titans could have gone to two, but that gone for two, but that um, 
that Jeff that's, Fisher wasn't doing that in 1990. Jeff Fisher wasn't doing that in 1999. Yeah. Still the only, uh, well, the only championship ever won by the St. Louis Rams, they they won it in L.A., you know, 20 some odd years later. Um, you know, in re- I remember when I watched this game saying afterwards that I think that might be the greatest Super Bowl in history. I think in some ways it's sort of gone down a little bit in my eyes because it was one of those things where it was like Rams up big 16 to nothing. Titans come back. You know, it was it wasn't necessarily like a classic back and forth game. Wasn't a tremendous upset upset. Kurt Warner was a huge story. That was his first year as a starter. Trent Green had gotten hurt and he had come in and the whole thing. He'd been bagging groceries and all that stuff. So I don't know if this is maybe necessarily like a top two or three, but it's one of the all time great if you're at least very, very good Super Bowls. We do have to move it on. I think it just occurred to me why one of the reasons this game has never fully resonated with me. And again, look, I get I come to this from a perspective, you know, um, and I, I always kind of said, you know, it was two teams who hadn't really been there before. So there weren't a lot of like villains. I know a lot of people, Kurt Warner's story had kind of captivated people that year, but it wasn't like one team was, you know, had won a bunch of years in a row or anything like that. And I just kind of put this together now. Both of these teams had only been in their respective cities like four years at this point, too. So, yeah, this might have been the Titans' first year in. It was, wasn't there for, it, I think it was their first year as the Titans. It yeah, wasn't it was, their first year in Tennessee. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they but they'd been the Tennessee Oilers for those two years previously, playing mm-hmm. in Memphis on the complete other side of the state. Yeah, and I think this was only what the second year in a, in St. Louis for the Rams. I want to say maybe a little more than that, but no, I think ninety six was there. Yeah, third okay, or fourth. So they've been so, there a little year longer. Yeah, okay. So I mean, if we're gonna nitpick down the line, I feel like that hurts it from a sort of narrative standpoint. But a game that comes down to the last play almost goes to overtime. You have to advance it to the next round. Agreed. Uh, do we want to go a year forward and maybe back into the next column? Yeah, we do have to put this on here. This is sort of, I honestly consider this the last, like there's two eras we're going to discuss, and this is sort of the last game of that era. Um, Giants, Patriots, or excuse me, Giants, Ravens, Ravens, 34, Giants, seven. The Ravens, even though the Giants had a better, I guess, well, they were both at the same record that year, but the Giants were the one seed. The Ravens were like a four seed or whatever they were. This game was over very, very quickly, let's say. Um, The Ravens had 10 points a minute into the second quarter. It became very clear the Giants could have played for nine quarters and not gotten 10 points. The brief glimmer of hope was when Ron Dixon scored a touchdown to make it 17-7. And then on the next play, the Ravens scored a touchdown and made it 24 to 7. And it was obviously over from there. Um the one thing Terry I will Con- say is there is another brief glimmer of hope in the second quarter when Jesse Armstead picks off the mm-hmm. pass from Trent Dilfer, runs it back for a touchdown. That would have tied the game at seven and then gets called back on a defensive holding. You have always been strongly <laughs> believed that that made no difference in the game and it would have been just as much of a blowout. I think you're probably right, but that was another glimmer of hope early when they almost tied it. It's also worth noting, and I think this is a, the, one of the things that makes it such a terrible Super Bowl, is that this, the touchdown the Giants score and the touchdown the Giants almost score 
neither one of those were scored by their offense. No, and the Giants offense didn't approach scoring. Kerry Collins was 15 of 39 for 112 yards, four interceptions. He was also sacked four times. The leading rusher in the game was Tiki Barber, who managed 49 yards on 11 carries. Uh, the Giants just thoroughly. And then on top of that, the Ravens offense, which had gone like six games without scoring a touchdown. Also, Brandon Stokely was torching Jason Seahorn all game the week after Jason Seahorn had shut down Randy Moss. And suddenly now Brandon Stokely is toasting him. Future giant Super Bowl champion, Brandon Stokely, by the way. Um, what? He was on the 11 team. He got hurt in like week two. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I have no recollection <laughs> yeah. of that. Um, so anyway, Kerry Collins yeah, quarterback okay. rating for that game, 7.1. Um, yeah. And it's funny too, because you thought the Giants had a chance. <laughs> this wasn't like some of these other games where it was like, oh, they're just clearly outmatched. If you had to rank the four units, the I mean, the, the two defenses were the best Ravens defense first and the Giants defense, although the Ravens defense was, you know, head and shoulders above the Giants defense. But the Giants offense was leaps and bounds among uh, over the. Over the the Ravens offense, they had just scored 41 points in an NFC an NFC conference championship game. It wasn't like the giants were like, Oh, they got this offense and who knows what they're going to, you know, they were seen as sort of peaking at just the right time. Yeah. This wasn't a bears Patriots or 49ers chargers mismatch going in goes. It has to go on the list for worst. And I think that a lot of ways that Bears defense, or I'm sorry, that Ravens defense kind of made their reputation in this game. They were known as a very good defense, but I don't think, and again, I was sort of con- conscious of football for one and not for the other, but I don't think they came in being known as like this crazy dominant defense the way the Bears did in 85, even though they're now sort of put on that level. Mm-hmm. I think this Super Bowl had a lot to do with that. Whereas if the Bears had won Super Bowl 20 by a score of, you know, 14 to 7 or, you know, 24 to 21, I think that 85 Bears defense would still have the same reputation. I agree with that. Um, And for the record at this point, I have one more on my list for worst Super Bowls. I have two. Okay, so we are now going to turn the page. And head into what I call the Patriot era. And not that every game involves the Patriots, but that most games do. And most of the ones we're going to discuss do. All right. So, uh, yeah. So, 30, Super Bowl 36, 2001 season. This begins the, I don't know what they call it, the Patriots era or the, the Belichick era. But this is Super Bowl 36. This is the first Super Bowl that's ever played in February. And that's because of... um because of the September 11th attacks that pushed the pushed the game back a week. It's in Louisiana at the Superdome. Rams have the the same Hall of Famers, although they've added Aeneas Williams, uh, the the safety uh, who had f- previously been with the Phoenix Cardinals. Patriots, only two, super, two Hall of Famers, uh, both on defense, Ty Law and Richard Seymour, although obviously uh, Tom Brady will be there one day. So I have my own thoughts, but w- what stands out to you about this Super Bowl? So a couple of things. One, 
the Rams had become hateable in two years. I can't describe why or how, but like in 99, everybody was like, oh, yeah, it's cool. By 01, and I think it was because of Vermeil going and Martz coming in, and Mike Martz was just a hateable guy in terms of his persona. I don't know what he was like in person, his personal life, but like he was a guy it was easy to feel a certain way about as a football coach, <laughs> which ironically, the other guy became yeah. a much bigger embodiment of that later on. But um, the Rams were seen as like this unstoppable force they'd won in 99 in 2000 warner was hurt most of the year i think the thought was had they been he been healthy they might have won again who knows but that was sort of the going wisdom the patriots i I remember as a giant fan just thinking that if they had had to play the rams it would not have been pretty and they would have had to play the rams had the rams won in the wild card round they lost to the saints the um so in 01 then you had the Patriots who it, it's hard to put yourself back in that time. And certainly it's a, it's a larger discussion from sort of a, a cultural standpoint, but just in the context of this, the fact that they were called the Patriots and they wore red, white, and blue was a big deal to a lot of people. I, it seems almost silly now, and it probably was, but that was considered a big deal. Plus, it was, you know, a, a, it was the whole Brady story, which has been seared into everybody's memory now, was kind of a, it was obviously new. It was that year. Bella, uh, Bledsoe had gotten hurt early in the year. Brady comes in. They start winning. Bledsoe's ready to come back. Belichick sticks with Brady. Actually, in the AFC championship game, Brady did get hurt and Bledsoe played most of that game over the Steelers. And for like half a minute, there was a discussion of, are they going to go back to Bledsoe Mm -hmm. and Belichick quickly put that to bed? I think by Tuesday of the Super Bowl week, because there was no week off that year, put, put to bed that there was going to be, you know, that Brady was going to start, but all of this was sort of, new and different at this point. And then it turns into a great game. So a few things. First of all, once in a while, you'll hear people say that the reason this Super Bowl didn't have a bye week was because of 9-11. That's not true. They moved it back a week because of 9-11. It was never supposed to have a bye week. There was a period, I think the following year was the same way, where they had, for whatever reason, they'd gotten rid of the bye week again and weren't doing it and i i I don't like the bye week but that super bowl did not lose its bye week because of 9-11 they were doing this weird dance for a few years where they didn't want to start on labor day but they didn't they had it in their minds that the super bowl needed to be played in january so they would kind of back and forth like i remember in 97 they had this first week of the season was in was Labor Day weekend. And then the next year, you know, so they were kind of going through that dance. What this did this year was they realized, oh, we can just play the Super Bowl on February 4th or 3rd or whatever, and who cares? That's what this Super Bowl did. But yeah, it was never because if there had been a bye week, they would have just canceled the bye week. They had to push everything back. Uh you know, it's it's kind of makes you a little bit of a nostalgic for the time when the NFL tried to live within some sort of a boundary. You know, like they didn't just want to be a 12 month a year sport games every day of the week, every, you know, 
all that type of thing. So, so it does make me think of that too. Just a couple things. First of all, you, you know, nobody knew that Brady was going to be not just that he wasn't going to be Brady, but that he was going to be anything. I mean, he was a guy who'd been a backup quarterback. He'd been what fourth or fifth on the depth chart going into that season or going into the previous season. He'd been drafted, you know, whatever late round it was that he was drafted in. I don't, what was, what was he drafted? Sixth like round. 199th. He was drafted. I think, I think that's um, what he was drafted. Yeah. Um, shout out to, uh, George Bozica, our sports history network colleague in the, uh, professional football researchers association, because a couple years ago at the, convention in canton i actually saw tom brady's draft card which i thought was pretty cool this is this is a bad team offensively even compared to a couple of years later Dion branch who would win the mvp of their super bowl victory over the eagles a couple of years later is not on the team yet they obviously don't have any of the guys that would be a part of the you know, the the later dynasty, the Edelman's, the Gronkowski's, all those guys are, you know, they're in junior high school at this point. You're talking about a team whose leading receiver is Troy Brown, who's kind of a journeyman, a good player, but sort of a journeyman. David Patton, fourth in receiving yards on the team is Terry Glenn with 204 yards. Terry Glenn, who only plays in four games for the team <laughs> the whole season and who um, it does not play in the postseason. I get he I think he probably gets injured at some point during the season. It's his last year with the Patriots. So this is not a good team. The the leading rusher on the team is Antoine Smith. This is before they bring in Corey Dillon or any of those guys. Second leading rusher is 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 Kevin Falk with only 169 yards. So they really only have one good running back and like one good receiver. You know, maybe one and a half. This is you know no great shakes on on the defense really either. So they're not considered a very good team. They're not even really considered the best team in the AFC. They've got the quarterback controversy. I believe after Vinatieri kicks the field goal. Bill Belichick turns to somebody and says, can you believe we won the Super Bowl with this team? And the other thing, too, is that and maybe this is a little bit personal for me, because this is when I first got to Boston as a college student, you know, September of 2001. Boston sports was not Boston sports then. And they hadn't won a championship in 15 years since the 86 Celtics. Think about how many they would win in the next 15 years. So there's a lot going on there with this team, this franchise, Belichick, Brady. Plus, it's just a damn good game and a major upset. Yeah, the uh, Patriots get out to a 17-3 to lead. There's a tie laws, an interception return of Warner to give them the 7-3 lead early in the game. Then the Rams come charging back. They tie it at 17 with a minute and 30 left, and the Patriots get the ball. and the question is kind of like, are they doing the right thing here or should they be killing the clock and playing for overtime? And again, well, remember, the, this is the famous thing. There is that John Madden explicitly says that they should not be doing what they're doing. So they get into field goal range. And this is, again, Venetary. Remember, two weeks before this in the last game at the old Foxborough Stadium, he 
had kicked the field goals in the snow in the tuck rule game, uh, the one to tie it, the one to win it. He comes out and buries a field goal on the last play of the game and the Patriots win the Super Bowl. Yeah, and I do think for all the reasons that I mentioned that this has to go on the list for a potential, um, maybe not one of the, you know, I don't know how high on the list this will actually be because it, in a lot of ways, it's not a great back and forth game and that basically the Patriots do really well in the first half and the Rams do well in the second half and then you got that drive. But this one warrants further consideration, I would say. 100%. Um, I have the one two years later on there too, the Patriots and the Panthers. That was a fun, fun game. There was so much scoring in that game. I mean, 32 to 29 doesn't, knock your socks off, but it was, I think the passing in that game was, I think both teams had like crazy numbers of yards. DeLome threw for 323 yards. Brady threw for 354 yards. They each threw three touchdowns. This game was tied at seven. The Patriots got up 21-14. It was in the fourth quarter alone, going into the fourth quarter, it was 14 to 10 Patriots. They got up 21-10. Then the uh, Panthers scored, made it 21-16. They missed a uh, two-point conversion. They scored another touchdown, made it 22-21, missed a two-point conversion again. Patriots come up, score, get the two-point conversion, make it 29-22 with 2.51 left. Then DeHolm takes them down the field, hits Ricky Prohl for, on a touchdown with 108 left to tie it at 29. Again, just like two years earlier, the Patriots go down. Brady gets them in range. Venetary hits a field goal. 32 to 29. Patriots win. Lots of action in this one. And all basically in the second half, this game was zero to zero with four minutes left in. That's right. Yeah. With with uh, with I'm sorry, with with the Patriots score their first touchdown with 210 left in the the second quarter. Oh, 305, God, I think. You're right. 305. I'm sorry. God, I'm remembering this game now. This this was crazy. The, just the way this, this was such quarter. a fun game. I was a senior in high school. Yeah. So then. Hold on. I got to pull up the box score for this game. The, the play by play. This is Super Bowl. So, and 37 or no, 30, 38. And while he's doing this, let me just people had not started to hate the Patriots yet. It was getting close, but people had really not fully because they won in 01. And then the next year, they weren't any great shakes. They missed the playoffs. I think they went nine and seven. They started 2003, 0 and two or 0 and one. They got killed in the first game, though. And the question was sort of like, was that just a one year thing? And then they got on a roll and, you know, won all those games. And then you had the Panthers equally coming out of nowhere. Julius Peppers became kind of a pop culture it was referenced in a Nelly song. He was kind of like a big, you know, phenomenon might be a little bit strong, but they were a really, really, you know, hot team at the time too. Okay. Yeah. So no scoring for the first quarter and most of the second quarter. Finally, with uh three ten left, Brady throws a five yard touchdown pass to Dion branch. Uh, and then they get the extra points. So it's seven, nothing. Um, Panthers get the ball back on their own five yard line with two fifty eight left. 
they on third and five, they get another completion to Prol for 13, then to Musin Muhammad for 23, and then uh, to Prol for another 15, and then Delhomme throws it to Steve Smith for 39 yards to make it 7-7. Kick it back to the Patriots, uh, and then uh, Patriots have it on their own 22. Brady completes for 20 for 12 yards and then to 52 yards to Dion Branch. He's got what? And then David Givens is sort of the star of this. David Givens gets one, two, three receptions for 12, nine, and then five. So less than a minute of game time after the Panthers had tied it up, the uh, Patriots make it 14 to seven. Then they kick it off and uh, Stephen Davis gets the ball. They're at the, uh, Vinatieri kicks it off and they must get a something must happen here. Where how is this? So Vinatieri kicks off 35 yards. Oh, it's a crappy kickoff. Vinatieri only kicks it 35 yards, meaning that the Panthers have it basically at midfield. They run one play for 21 yards and then are able to kick a 51 yard field goal. So a game that with 310 left or 311 left was zero to zero is 14 to 10 at the half. And then they just keep going. No scores in the third quarter either. So then it goes back to this sort of stalemate. And then there are five touchdowns, probably almost on back to back to back to back to back possessions in the fourth quarter. And then the game winning field goal by Vinatieri with four seconds left. So yeah, this is a really Maybe a little underrated and a really exciting game. So I think it goes on the finalist list. It's one of the most fun games I can remember. Now, maybe some of that's not having a rooting interest in it, particularly at that point. But that was one of the most fun games I can remember Super Bowl wise. So I did not have the following year's game, the Patriots and the Eagles. This was a really good game, but it was another one of those games. We're not going to be able to constantly talk about the games we don't have on the list. Uh, just real quick, I was just going to say it's one of these games where it's 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 only not on the it's 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 a good game, but the the Eagles score and then have to try and get it back, and you know it's never really actually a one score game, even if that's what the final score would have you believe it would be. So I did not have that one on there. They did get the ball back with about forty five seconds, but not much time and and, and all that. Um, yeah, forty forty one, nothing there. Forty two. The Giants and the Patriots goes on there. It goes it goes forward. The objective point of view, the Patriots come in 18 and 0. It's the first time a team since 1972 is going for an undefeated season in the Super Bowl. By then, they are the fully formed big bad Patriots. That was the year with Spygate. They had broken every record in the book that year offensively. Brady, Moss. Um, the offense overall, they were. And, and that's the other thing that gets lost here is that this team had Randy Moss on it, maybe the second or third best wide receiver of all time. Yeah. And broke and had a, and I think a lot of people would go, well, he's past his prime. He had his best season. He had a, maybe 98 was better, but he was phenomenal. Brady broke the touchdown record that year. Um, these two teams had played in week 17. The Patriots had beaten the Giants to get to 16 and 0, but the Giants gave them one of the best games anybody had given them all season. And I'm not going to sit here and say you had a feeling they would meet again because I didn't. I remember at the time saying if the Giants don't have to play the Cowboys, I think they can beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. I did not think the Giants could beat the Cowboys in the 
in the playoffs and they did. Um, so going into the, you had you know, just from a narrative standpoint, you had all of that for the giants. You had Eli Manning, you know, his brother just won the Super Bowl for the first time the year before the giants back in the Super Bowl for the first, I guess only in seven years, but hadn't won one in 17 years, this defense that had shook the hell out of Brady in week 17, now getting another chance. And then the game itself, you know, the knock I've heard on this game is people who don't think there was enough action. I don't agree with that. Obviously, as a giant fan, I am not objective about this. This is still one of the greatest days of my life. Um, But I'll allow that as a fair knock. But I think you more than make up for that in the fourth quarter. The Giants take the lead. Finally, the Patriots go down the field. They have this surgical drive to the point where they're killing the clock before they've actually taken the lead because they're so confident they're going to take the lead. Eli Manning comes out with just over two minutes left. You have the helmet catch, which is still one of the most iconic plays in the history of football where he hits David Tyree. And then you have the Burris touchdown and then the Giants, um, you know, because then then the Patriots get the ball with this record breaking offense and they still have, you know, a few plays at it. So I think it's one of the best Super Bowls of all time, both game wise and narrative wise. And I think it goes on the list and I think is objectively one of the most most significant games of the last 30 years in the NFL. Yep. The combination of the upset, the loss of the undefeated season, the Tyree catch Patriots hadn't lost Super Bowl, all of those things. Absolutely. It, it goes on there and I'm sure it will, uh, it will rate highly when we revisit uh, for the list in a few minutes here. And uh, I think, uh, go ahead. Do you have the next year on there? I do. I think that game gets underrated a little bit. And I understand why, because it was right after the um, right after the crazy giant upset of the year before. This is Super Bowl 43. This is the the Cardinals and the um, Cardinals and the Patriots. This is a victory for the the Steelers. This is Mike Tomlin's. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, um, Troy Polamalu is their only uh, Hall of Famer, although Roethlisberger will get there. Edgar and James and Kurt Warner, um, Kurt Warner popping up yet again here. I think this is also John Madden's last game as a broadcaster, which is sort of an interesting note. Mm-hmm. And this is this is another one of those games that is decided very much in the the closing minutes of the game. I'm just trying to pull up the the scoring summary here. So just bear with me for well, one, uh, one quick second here. Okay, go ahead. While he's doing that, let's also mention this is the Arizona Cardinals in the Super Bowl, and how unfathomable that had been before this, uh, not even, Oh, 10 years before that, as early as the, that year, this was considered pretty unfathomable. And then there was a, a confluence of things that led to them actually hosting the NFC championship game. This is Kurt Warner, whose career was basically considered over a few years before this, uh, making a Super Bowl. The most famous play in the game happened. Well, second most famous play in the game happened just before halftime. It was 10 to 7 Arizona, or excuse me, 10 to 7 Pittsburgh, but the Cardinals were driving to the point where they were going to at least tie the game on a field goal. 
if not take the lead and James Harrison, uh, well-adjusted individual ends up with a hundred yard interception return for a touchdown to what it seemed like may have iced the, not iced the game, but like at that point it was like, well, Arizona is not going to be able to recover from that at a 17 to seven lead. But then, you know, the second half happened and, and Arizona did, you know, did answer very, uh, very strongly, they they scored the next what sixteen points in the game. Yeah, and it, it's only a Steelers' last touchdown uh, to Santonio Holmes with with like thirty seconds left that gets the mm-hmm. gets the win for Pittsburgh. So yeah, this game probably because of what came after, and it wasn't in any way sort of a historic rivalry, and the the, the Cardinals don't have a lot of history, but still. This game was a great, great game. Yep. I think it goes on there. Oh, um, nine. I don't have on there. 10. I don't have on there. 11. I can't put another giant Patriot game on the list, even though it was again, a one possession game. The giants had to come back at the end and take the lead. There's another sort of iconic play with, with Eli to Manningham. If we're going to be objective, I can't have the same game two years later or four years later advance. No, and it does maybe suffer a little bit from that. Giants sort of struggled early in this game. I still remember you texting me saying, seriously, this is over. It was nice to think we could beat them again, but we can't. Um, Giants are down uh, 17. I had some spiritous beverages. (laughs) Giants are down 17 to 9 at... uh, at one point come back um Ahmad Bradshaw scores with less than a minute left um sort of half on purpose half it was the Patriots were obviously letting them score and Bradshaw sort of goes like he's going to kneel down but then doesn't and just sort of falls backward into the end zone yeah this one gets dinged a little bit because we're only choosing five and it's basically a, a very similar to a, something that happened four years earlier but I feel like you can't go through this without at least mentioning that. Yeah, no. And and again, if it was two different teams and maybe I'm overcorrecting as a giant fan, but you know, there's one thing to be the, to beat the undefeated Patriots. It's another thing to beat the, what was probably the worst of the Patriots teams to make a Super Bowl. If you look back at that, they were lucky to get through the AFC championship game that year. Uh, That was when the Ravens had the drop. And then I think Billy Cundiff missed the field goal. Uh, I think you're right about that. The t- the drop that would have won the game and and all that. So, um, you just can't do it. 2012, the blackout game, the Ravens and the 49ers. Do you have that on there? That was another one that I had as one to potentially talk about. This is Super Bowl 47. This is the one that's in New Orleans. Um, is this the first New Orleans Super Bowl after Hurricane Katrina? I think it probably is. You know, Randy Five. Moss. Randy Moss is actually on this team too for the 49ers. Go ahead. I was going to say 05 was Detroit. 06 was Miami. 07 was Arizona. 08 was, I want to say Miami again. It was definitely outside, maybe Tampa. I think Tampa, that one was 08. Uh, yeah, I think it would have been New Orleans' first one since then. So the, the, the big thing that get that the Super Bowl gets remembered for is that it, the lights go out uh, during the game. And I, and I think it's in the third quarter 
when the Ravens are up 28 to six, right? That I don't remember, but you're probably right. So the Ravens, and this is the Harbaugh ball also. This is, you know, uh, John Harbaugh and, and Jim Harbaugh, you know, coaching the, the, coaching the 49ers and the Ravens respectively. <laughs> Incidentally, we're recording this on the day that uh, John Harbaugh takes the job with the, with the chargers. So the two have a chance to meet up, uh, meet up in the NFL again, although not in the super bowl, since they're in the same controversial that John Harbaugh took the job with the chargers as he's preparing to lead his team into the AFC championship game. Oh, did I mix those up? I'm sorry. Jim Harbaugh with the chargers, John Harbaugh with the Ravens. Um, my apologies. Um, so, um, yeah. Every so... brother, brother team has one who's a little swifter on their feet. In this <laughs> case, that would be John Harbaugh. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> So it's 28 to six when the power goes out Ravens leading. And then from there, the 49ers go on this, you know, touchdown by Crabtree touchdown by uh, Frank Gore, who's probably a future hall of famer. They make it 28, 23, but then the, um, the, the Ravens get a field goal, go up eight Colin Kaepernick, um, scores a touchdown, uh, on a run. Then they, they missed the two point conversion, uh, that would have tied the game, and then Baltimore gets a field goal, and later a um, later a, a, a they they run out of the end zone for a safety to you know to kill the clock at the end of the game. You know, I feel like this one might just miss, but I actually think I feel worse about keeping this one off than I thought I would because I think the combination of the comeback. The weirdness of the blackout, the Harbaugh's, the fact that they're a two-point conversion away from tying it up. This is a much better game. You know, I, I knew it was a, a good game, but this game was sort of more up there than I even thought it would be. But maybe the lack of a real sort of back and forth, the lack of a real sort of memorable moment other than the power outage, maybe that that takes it just down. Although there was, what, a 108-yard kickoff return for a touchdown in this game. So I guess... And I guess, two guys who were brothers were coaching against each other and there was a blackout. I, I don't think it ends up making the top five, so I don't know if it matters to say we're passing it on. But, you know, it's it's definitely there. You know, it's definitely a memorable game. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And, and and also just, you know, another, you know, interesting, there's, there's some of these games that just have so many different interesting stories in them. Also, the fact that Randy Moss was on the 49ers basically as a third receiver after having been retired for a year and was basically just a, you know, a model citizen and just a guy who contributed. That's also kind of cool. Yeah. Do you have the next year one is one of the worst ones? Because I didn't list it, but as I'm looking, I'm like, you could certainly make the argument for that. This was the New York Super Bowl. This was Seahawks and the Broncos 43 to 8. Mm. I do. This was a game that was just never anything. At one point the Seahawks were leading 36 to nothing. The I think the there was a fumble on the uh, on the very first play from scrimmage where the center mm. uh basically messed up the snap and it goes right by Peyton Manning. This this was Manning. This was Manning's by far his best year as a Bronco. Was this his first year with Denver? I think it was. No, I think 12 was because 12 was the year they were really good. And the Ravens hit like a crazy Hail Mary in the divisional round. Because mm -hmm. Manning would have been there 12, 13, 14, 15, Peyton Manning. Because 11 was the year he missed the whole season. He was technically still on the Colts, but he had the neck injury. So then 12 was the year they, yeah, they were like the one seed 
and they lost to Denver. They lost to Baltimore in the in the divisional round. Thirteen, they got to the Super Bowl. Fourteen, they lost to New England in the AFC Championship game, and then fifteen, they won the Super Bowl. But this was Manning's best year as a Bronco. This was his MVP year. I think this yeah. was the this was the year he set the record. This was the year he took that touchdown record back from. Uh, from Brady. Brady. Yeah, he had 55 touchdown passes at 37 <laughs> years of age. Yeah, pretty pretty good. I think that's why this to me was really one of the worst was that you thought you were getting a good game mm-hmm. and you just didn't. It was just terrible. I mean, this might be first of all, I don't think anybody's I'm trying to think of what the biggest Super Bowl droughts were. 36 nothing. Nobody's ever been down that much to nothing. I know that this is a 35 point loss and the the Bears Patriots was a 36 point loss, but this was there was not even a second where you thought this was going to be close. This game was 5 to nothing with 10 minutes left. The um the the Seahawks defense or Seahawks offense hadn't even had to do anything yet. Really the defense hadn't had to either. So I I I put this one on there and I might put this one way on there, especially because you thought it was going to be a really good game. Yeah, I think it has to go on there. I think I just kind of overlooked it. The next year, those same Seattle Seahawks are back and now we have a return of the second leg of the Patriot thing. And this is February 1st, 2015, the 2014 season, the famous the game made famous by the decision at the end for the Patriots or by the Seahawks to throw the ball instead of giving it to Marshawn Lynch it was then intercepted and the Patriots win this game is always close it's uh it's only a a more than a one score game uh for about uh how much time here for about three minutes uh uh i don't know more than that i'm sorry closer to about uh almost a quarter almost a quarter 454 454 in the third quarter the seahawks go up 24 to 14 and then uh patriots don't score till there's 755 left uh amandola scores to make it 24 21 and then um they get the ball back, they score, and then there's the whole thing. Yeah, this to me is pretty high up there. The combination of the closeness of the game the fact that the Patriots hadn't won a Super Bowl in 10 years, which gets really kind of lost in the shuffle of the whole thing. Plus, the Marshawn Lynch uh, non-handoff and the interception by Wilson would be crazy enough. But then when you factor in, there was that just one of the all-time greatest catches in NFL history. And it was everybody <laughs> that the Patriots were going to lose on a crazy play in the uh you know this was uh what curse what jermaine curse um and uh it's he's being covered by malcolm butler both guys dive butler deflects it curse ends up catching the ball on the ground and everybody's saying that the patriots are going to lose a third super bowl in basically what five years or you know eight years whatever it is on a crazy improbable catch and then to lose the or to end up winning it the way that they did this to me is not only up there it's it's pretty high up there i agree 
was watching this game on a GameCast in the back of an ambulance on my way to the hospital. But I remember watching it on my phone, not watching it, but like following the GameCast and being like, holy shit, geez, I almost cursed. I'm sorry. Being like, wow, holy crap. The, the Seahawks just got like a huge play and they might win the game. And then seeing what I was like, a couple of plays later, being like, oh, they threw an interception. And it wasn't until two days later that I saw the highlights and saw exactly what did happen. But yeah, I think you have to put this uh, to put this up there. Yeah. So. So the following year is uh, is 49 or that's the, that was just 49. That right was there. 49. The following year is 50. That's Panthers and the Broncos. That's a nice story. I didn't realize the final score of that game was as close as it was. I, we don't need to talk about it. I, I thought that was much more of a blowout than it was. Yeah, it was one of those games where it was like you never you never felt like it was a blow, <laughs> but you never felt like it was particularly <laughs> close either. Um, so that was 50. And then in 51. We are back to the uh, back to the Patriots, and this is the Patriots and the Falcons. This is the famous twenty-eight-three comeback game, uh, a coin toss by uh, former President and Mrs. Uh, George H. W. Bush. In case you were curious, um, you know where where do you? I mean, obviously, it, it's it's men- it's mentioning. I did not have this as one to move along. And in a way, I felt strange about that because it's such an improbable comeback, 28-3 in the third quarter, Patriots come back. But I don't know, maybe I was just a little more biased because it felt like it was just a comeback rather than a back and forth. I mean, look, it's it's one of the greatest games in NFL history, but is it, you know, one of the five to seven greatest Super Bowls in history? I don't know. I don't think it is. I, I would say we're kind of arbitrarily, I would say, oh, move it along, but I wouldn't. It's not going to be in the top five. If you, there was not a soul in this country who thought by overtime the Falcons were going to win that game. And so we yeah, should it note that it's the it's the first overtime Super Bowl. Yes, I was about to note that. We should, yes, we have to discuss it as one of, you know, the only Super Bowl that's gotten into overtime thus far. And, you know, the biggest comeback, I've got to be the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history by quite a bit. And, but the legacy of this is almost more as a choke out, unless outside of the New England area, everyone else talks about this to the point where people troll Atlanta sports fans with 28 3, the, you know, every now and then, like a, the Saints Twitter or like, you know, somebody playing the Braves in the playoffs will find some clever way to put 28-3 in a tweet or something like that. And I certainly you the, could... um I also, I think that the Patriots rings had 283 diamonds in them too. Yeah, you, you can certainly call this like the crowning achievement of the Brady Patriots if you want to. As a game... <sighs> By the time it was 28-20, to me, it was like, if the Patriots get the ball back, they're going to tie it and they're going to win. Now, again, you could say, oh, well, but, you know, I just, it felt, it, certainly by the time it got to overtime, it was inevitable. Maybe I'm being hypocritical. If you 100% flip the roles in this game, I think it it might be in the top five. 
But oh, absolutely. I just, I just can't get there. So great, obvious comeback. That's not to do it. Diminish what New England did. They're well represented on this list, both in their wins and their losses. Both lists, actually. Um, because because in a minute, yeah, we're we're gonna have a Patriot win, a Patriot loss in both categories, at least in the next round, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, it's it's not as good a game as it could be. Or it it it's not as held in high regard as you would think as the first overtime Super Bowl ever. One year later. I didn't have it on my list. I don't know how... Go ahead. No, what were you going to say? I, I If you want to make the argument for it, you can. Um, I, I don't know. Did, wasn't New England ahead, or wasn't Philadelphia ahead pretty comfortably most of the game? I, I mean, not really. I mean, it was... They were up by 10 a couple of times, but this is, this is Philly and... Uh, New England 41-33 in Super Bowl 52 but with uh the 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 Patriots battle back score a touchdown to go up by a point with with about 9 minutes left in the fourth quarter Eagles are doing this with a backup quarterback in Nick Foles they score a touchdown on this Philly special which is one of the the best known plays in Super Bowl history, especially modern Super Bowl history, they run that play and do that after the Patriots had had tried a very similar play on their own goal line of a few drives earlier and Brady had dropped the ball. They they win the game um 41 to 33. They they have to retake the lead in the fourth quarter. Backup quarterback, like I said, first Eagles Super Bowl victory ever you know 52 years in they hadn't won an nfl title since 1960 you know back and forth game high scoring i think this has got to be on there and it's it's got to be on there pretty high i think i agree but wait you're not you're not talking about the best list are you yeah i have it on the worst it doesn't belong. Justice society doesn't allow it to happen. In in fairness, it, it is a good game. I don't know that I would have it in my top five. In my day, we didn't have to resort to gimmickry to win games. Um, but yes, it, it's certainly a legendary game that if you sort of put your morality aside, does does bear some some mention as one as a significant Super Bowl. Yeah. 52. We, we, that's got to get further conversation. So I had 53 as my last entry on my worst list, even though it wasn't a blowout. This is Patriots 13 Rams three. This game was just boring. It's also was so disappointing because I remember saying to people going into that, you know, Say what you will about the Patriots. They play exciting Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. Every Super Bowl they play is close. Every Super Bowl they play is a good game that comes down to the wire. So, like, we're at least guaranteed that. And then it was 13 to 3. It wasn't a game that was ever like, oh, the Rams almost, you know, took the lead or whatever. Even at, you know, for a game that I guess it was, Three to th- it was three to three going into the fourth quarter. So yeah, it was 
here, here's what I'll say. If it's going to be 3-3 going into the fourth quarter, you damn well better have a fun ending. And they didn't. They did not. No, they didn't. The, it, the, the Patriots had the ball till a minute and 12 left to hit a field goal and ice the game. But like, I, I, even if you say it was closer than I'm giving it credit for, it wasn't more exciting than I'm giving it credit for. Here are some of the records that were set in this game. Most consecutive drives ending with a punt, eight by the Rams. Fewest points scored by a winning team, 13 by the Patriots. Fewest fewest touchdowns, first three quarters, both teams, zero. Fewest touchdowns, both teams, game, one. Fewest points, first three quarters, both teams, six. Fewest points, both teams, games, 16. Uh, they did set the record for longest punt, which I guess who the hell cares? Yeah, this was just and again, maybe there's some of this that's like, you know, recency. And I remember watching this game. Um, but this and it was funny, actually, because this was during a time period where I had uh, gotten a job back uh, back in D.C., but my wife and I were still living in Boston and I was scheduled to wake up very early the next morning to fly back to D.C. to start the work week. This was a hard game to stay up for when you had to get up at five o'clock so you could go to work in another city. It was like, what are we doing here? I mean, zero points in the first three quarters. It's <laughs> yeah, that's not uh, that's not or no. Was it was it zero in the first three quarters? So I think that's what I said, wasn't it? Um, where's the it was three, three going into the fourth quarter. Oh, OK, so it was. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. There was zero touchdowns in the first three quarters. That was <laughs> what it was. Um, only yeah, one touchdown. Only one touchdown. Yeah, no, I, I can't. This is at least some of these other games you can look at that they were boring, but they were blowouts. So at least you got to see a defense dominator. You got to see a, t- a team with a high powered offense. This is this is very high up there for me. This is this is a contender maybe for the top spot. So, yeah, this 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 All moves right. on. So we're left with four. The two years after that, I don't think are in any kind of discussion. Chiefs 31, 49ers 20, Bucks 31, Chiefs 9. I don't have either of the last two, even though they were both three-point games. You could talk me in, I guess, to rams Bengals, um 23-20. The Bengals had a chance at the end. I guess what happened is as I got to these last two, I'm looking at all of the ones that we've done before this and saying, I know I'm not going to have them in the top five. So we could argue whether they bear some sort of mention, but you know, and also I will acknowledge maybe we need a little more uh, historical, whatever, but not having that at the moment, I just don't see either of them in there. Yeah. I had them both as potentials. I mean, two years ago, the Rams uh, won the game on, uh, uh, you know, a touchdown with a minute 20 left. Uh, they were down, they were down seven halfway through the fourth quarter and they, or no, they weren't, I'm sorry. They were down seven in the third quarter. Um, and then they were down, uh, down four for most of the fourth quarter. They needed a, a, a touchdown, a 79 yard drive where uh, Stafford completes it to, to Cooper cup, the eventual MVP of the game. So a, a game where, where the winning touchdown isn't scored until a minute and 25 left. Uh, I, I have, uh, you know, I felt like that definitely had to be be on there. And then you're right. Last year's game, it it, it seems so recently, but 
it's the second win for this this dom what's becoming a, a potentially a, a chief's dynasty it's a it's a game winning field goal now this is another one of those uh, sort of like super bowl 5 where it was tied so it's not as though um it's not as though it wouldn't have gone to overtime but a you know an eight set butker with an eight uh a field goal 27 yard field goal with 8 seconds left to win the game for the Chiefs Philly leads for most of this game. Uh, in fact, I think uh, Kansas City goes up one in the fourth. Kansas City goes up eight uh, in the fourth quarter. But prior to that, uh, they hadn't had a lead Kansas City. So, you know, I think that maybe people and I think they're going to start to realize it after the next couple of weeks. Uh, people don't necessarily realize just how much of a dynasty this Chiefs team has the potential to be. So. You're right. Maybe, maybe since we're only doing five, we sort of leave both of those off. But you know, you could make a really strong case for both of them. Fair point. Very fair point. So it's going to be easier if we do the worst first. I agree. Uh, and here's the ones I have sort of listed as as ones we considered. These aren't going to be in any particular order, but Cowboys Bills ninety three. See, uh. Seahawks. Let me let me start this again because I, I got two different lists here. So I got uh, Rams Patriots twenty eighteen, Seahawks Broncos twenty thirteen, Giants Ravens two thousand, Cowboys Bills ninety two, 49ers Broncos eighty nine, Bears Patriots eighty five, Raiders Vikings seventy six, and Raiders Redskins eighty three. Which oh, ones of those do you have? What's that? Go ahead. I was going to say, do you have ones of those that you think definitely need to be in the top five? I think the Giants Ravens needs to be in the top five. I think okay. that that Patriots Rams Super Bowl that we talked about needs to be in the top five. And Are I think that, that I think that that Seahawks and the Broncos that blowout from about 10 years ago needs to be in the top five. Do you have to put Bears Patriots in there? Yeah, yeah, you do. All right. So then that leaves us to, we got four there. So then you got Cowboys, Bills, you got 49ers, Broncos, you got Raiders, Vikings, you got Raiders, Redskins. 49ers, would, Broncos has a lot of points, a lot of excitement. I would probably go that, that Cowboys, Bills, Super Bowl just because it's so sloppy. And so that made it hard to watch because it wasn't even like it wasn't like the Bears where it was like a dominating defense over the Patriots. It was it was just so sloppy. The Bills just kept throwing interceptions and fumbling. That's so that's that's got to be on there for me, too. All right. So the five we got. We got uh, Rams Patriots 2018, which is Super Bowl, Super Bowl 53. Seahawks Broncos 2013 season Super Bowl 48. Giants Ravens 2000 season Super Bowl 35 Cowboys Bills 92 season Super Bowl 27 and Bears Patriots 1985 season that's Super Bowl 20 and for my money one of the two recent ones is the worst Super Bowl ever <laughs> I agree a big part of me wants to go Rams Patriots and I think it's a game the game I enjoyed the least yeah I agree but I don't know if you can put that over a game that was 36 to nothing. Yeah, that might be the worst. That might be and the worst. theoretically, it, again, watching it, you knew it wasn't going to happen. 
Rams Patriots was a fumble or a pick six away from being tied late. So I think you go Seahawks Broncos one. I think you go Rams Patriots two. Yeah. And then probably Ravens Giants three. All right. And that leaves us with Cowboys Bills and Bears Patriots. Which one's better? Cowboys Bills, because it was at least close for a little bit in the first quarter. You never and thought the you- Patriots. You never thought the Patriots were going to have a chance against the Bears. Nobody in America so our, thought that. Here's our list. Number five, Cowboys, Bills. Number five, And these are getting progressively worse. Number four, Bears, Patriots. Number three, Giants, Ravens. Number two, Rams, Patriots. And number one, Seahawks, Broncos. Rams, the, Patriots, the only team that makes two appearances there. Seahawks, Broncos, Rams, Patriots, Giants, Ravens, Cowboys, Bills, Bears, Patriots. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, they've been in the most, so that's fair. And they got a win and a and loss. They got a win in this one. one. And they'll probably mm-hmm. have a win and a loss in the best column, too. All right. Um, so now we go to good. And I think the first thing we got to do is kind of narrow this down to seven or eight and then go from there. Um, or we could just say, what do we think somewhat- the best? We could just say, what do we think the best is and take it from there? All right. Um, I'm inclined to go with Giants Bills just because the last play was win or lose. Well, the second to last play. I also can't pretend I don't come to that from a point of view. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I would tend to agree with you. I would. Um, That to me is... um, you know, for all the reasons we mentioned, the field goal that was going to give one team a championship and cause the other team to lose, all the storylines going into it, all the storylines that came out of it, the Bills, Parcells, the Hostetler Sims thing. You want to put the backdrop of the the war into it a little bit, you know, that it wouldn't overestimate that, but I certainly think that that could be considered a part of it. So to me, that that yes, I would. I would go 25 there. All right. What do you think for number two? What's in your thought process? Number two uh, for me was, um, I'm going to say Super Bowl 49, which was the Patriots Seahawks. Patriots Seahawks. Yeah. The thing that's a, in a lot of ways similar to Giants Bills there is, and it sounds stupid to say about the Super Bowl, but we know it's not true every year. That's two, those were two heavyweight teams there. The Patriots were about to start their second leg of a dynasty. The Seahawks had won the Super Bowl the year before, were clearly good enough here to win their second straight Super Bowl. Yeah. Back and forth were it not just back and forth, but back and forth were at any given time. It felt like the team, like like either team could start to impose their will, and it didn't happen. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, one team's making a run, the other team cuts that off. It's not like the game we talked about with the Patriots and the Falcons, where once the Patriots got rolling, it was just a question. In that game, the Patriots were really paying against the clock. Could they do this before the time ran out? The Falcons were kind of, and you could also tell the Falcons were playing that game. Like, my God, I hope the clock runs out soon. This game, you put 10 more minutes on the clock in this game and think about what else happens in those 10 minutes. You know what I mean? I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. So I, I, 
I agree with that. I, I, I go at number two with, with them. Um, <sighs> Giants Patriots next, I would think. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm remiss to keep putting the Giants on here, but that game, we're at the point now where you got to have a great game and you got to have a narrative. And you can say that's not part of it, but it is. It you know, where the the thing that sets Giants Patriots apart from Steelers Cardinals the next year is the narrative. You know what I mean? And also, again, it it becomes almost a cliche, but the. I still think that's the most famous play in Super Bowl history. The guy caught the ball with his helmet. Like, Patriots were undefeated going into that. The only scenario that's a problem with that is now we got to continue to hear about the 72 Dolphins. What is that? Mad Dog um, said that? Yeah, the next day. Kind <laughs> now of we got to hear now we gotta hear about the 72 Dolphins. Now I think he said from. Too. Now we got to keep hearing from the 72 Dolphins. <laughs> Please. Um but yeah, I, I'll, I'll go with the Giants Patriots number three. The only pre-Patriot era, like post-2001 era, ones that we really have on here are 49ers, Bengals, and Steelers, Cowboys in 75. I guess 97 Broncos, Packers. Well, we have Super Bowl five too. No, but I mean ones that I'm consider like are in serious consideration. Yeah, I think five deserves a little more consideration than you might think, just because it did come down to that last second field goal. But you're right, there wasn't really a narrative yet, and it was, you know, it was. It, to be fair, it was a very, very <laughs> poorly played game. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I would go. Also, the Cowboys won the next year, which maybe doesn't factor in, but kind of does, in my opinion. You know. I'm going to say huh. I'm going to say maybe that Patriot Rams Super Bowl because it was such an upset probably could be the next one Rams were favored just, by, Rams were favored by 14 points in that game and just to put into context here now we have three Patriot Super Bowls from that era on there all justifiably yep. so so, yeah, I, I think you're right there. And then five, I mean, you know, I would go 43 for five. The the Rams, or sorry, the Cardinals and the Steelers. That gets named as one of the best games of all time. I think as Giant fans, we might have a little bit of a skewed vision of it because of what happened the year before. But there was a lot. Well, and also the fact, I mean, I'll admit still to being like, I still think the Giants were the best team in football that year. They beat mm. both of those teams. That year. So there's still a <laughs> There's still a little bit of that for me where I'm like, if the damn giants were, but you're right. You're right. It's, it, and, and again, it was, there's a lot there too. There's, you know, it's, it's Mike Tomlin winning a super bowl after, you know, taking over for bill Cower. There's they had already won one. So it's not Roethlisberger's first one, but it's Roethlisberger's second one. There's the whole thing with the Cardinals and Kurt Warner and, Edgar James was on that team. I want to say yep. Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah, I, th I think I agree with you there. And to be totally honest with you here, after the first three, I could really take any of a, a you know another half dozen or so. I could go Rams, I could, Titans. I could go Niners, Bengals. I could go the first Steelers, Cowboys. I could even go that Colt Cowboy. I could certainly go Eagles, Philly. Really, after the first three, you could pick any of two of like you know a whole bunch of Patriots and Panthers was one that we talked about being great so really 
after you get past those first to me, those first three are like the Pantheon. After that, you could take any number of those and I wouldn't wouldn't have too much of an issue. All right. I think that's fair. So just to recap, number five, Steelers Cardinals, 2008, number four, four, Patriots Rams, 2001, 36, number number three, Giants Patriots, 2007, 42, number two, Patriots Seahawks, 2014, 49, and number one, Giants Bills, 1990, Super Bowl 25, the silver anniversary Super Bowl. Yes, and now we are on to 58 in two weeks. So the the last thing I'll say, because once again, we've gone gone long. Um, just and I, I hammered this at the beginning of the episode. Just remember, we are in a golden age of Super Bowls. Look at look at these Super Bowls in really the first 24 Super Bowls. How many of the first even go to even go to 29, 29, how many of the first 29 Super Bowls would be classified as a good game? Six, maybe. Mm -hmm. So just remember that if if we get a and I don't think we will right now as we're recording this the week before the conference championship games. If we get a 34 to 10 Super Bowl this year, just remember that used to be the norm. Yeah, and that was a joke. I mean, you know, you, that was like, you know, oh, the game's never any good anyway. And, you know, it's a great day for friends and family. And if the game's good, great. But if it's not, that's okay, too. You sort of look at our formative years, like a lot of blowouts by the 49ers, the Cowboys, uh, the Redskins. You know, the Giants had the one blowout. But, like, there were a lot more, you know, you know, sort of in our early years. That's why when that 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 Packer Bronco game was tied in the fourth quarter. It was like, whoa, we're it's a good game. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this was fun. Um, I would like to wish we had to do this with uh, we've done it with NBA finals. We've done it with conference championships and football. I, I want to do it with um with uh, pre-1967 NFL championship games. And I also want to do it with World Series, although with World Series, we're going to have to figure out some way that we're not going through 125 years of history. I don't know whether that's just like, I, I don't know what the format for that would be. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out a way to do it. So that it would it's not- be, tw- it would be, it would be twice as long as this. And this was five <laughs> hours long. So, um, yeah, we're going to have to do it by like quarter century. We're going to have to make it like a nine part episode. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> Yeah. Well, this was good. Uh, hopefully this gets out just in time for the Super Bowl. We hope you enjoy that and we hope you enjoyed this. And until next time, I'm Dan Newman. And I'm Andrew Newman. Goodbye, old sports. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. With every race, every qualifying run, and every pit stop, Tim Coffeen would feel the pressure and excitement. 
with his own podcast on the Sports History Network called Tim Coffeine Talks IndyCar and Racing History, Tim will share those very same racing emotions and memories with his listeners. Learn, laugh, and enjoy the world of IndyCar racing through the eyes of Tim Coffeine. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcasts. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcasts. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.